Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my musically inclined brother, Dagan Moriarty. How's everybody doing out there tonight? <laughs> Are you ready to rock and roll? <laughs> <laughs> always after the first song. Yeah. They come is out it and always say, after yeah, the first yeah, song? yeah. You gotta you gotta just come out and play your opener. <laughs> All right. You just have you know, to jam yeah. immediately. You gotta get right in and it's usually something hard, something rhythmic. <laughs> Thank you. How is everybody? That's what she Thank said. Thank you, Long Island. <laughs> Thank you, Long Island. How many times do you think they get that wrong? They do. I mean, it happens. It, it had definitely happened. Oh, it's such a bad way to get, like, such the wrong foot to get started. Yeah. On. I, well, I'm trying to think of an example. I would love to hear one. Shit. Oh, you know, and I, I, I saw Journey. They're not going to be on my list, but I saw Journey. And they kept thanking San Francisco, but we were like an hour south of San Francisco and like almost in <laughs> San Jose. Like, what the fuck, we're like in Mountain View where Google is. And, and you can be like, thank you, San Francisco. <laughs> and what's so weird about that is that, A, they're from San Francisco and B, oh, that is weird. we're not anywhere. Right. I think I drove an hour and a half to get here. That's strange. Thank you, San Francisco. <laughs> As we are alluding, today's episode of Knockback, our retro and nostalgia podcast, is all about our favorite concert experiences, our favorite musical concerts. Dagan and I each chose, you know, four or five concerts that we want to go over, some other funny anecdotes and stories from our family. We also have a lot of feedback from you guys. So at the end of the show, usually we try to integrate your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas into the show as we go. But since you guys all talk about your favorite concert experiences, we'll just read them off towards the end of the show. I think that will make the most sense. And we were going to go a little longer on this one, but I remember it and I was talking to Dagan about the fact that when we did our favorite childhood music, that episode is arguably the longest episode of the show. And I almost think too long. So we cut it down to like not doing 10 concert seats or something like that, since I feel like, you know, going three hours is probably a little bit long. For <laughs> we'll pick the cream of the crop. Back. Although I don't have to edit these shows anymore. So Dustin, have fun. <laughs> Poor Dustin. Now, the thing about this particular topic is that I think it's going to be an interesting insight into our musical tastes. Obviously, we've already talked a little bit about that, but also Dagan, I think it's going to be insight into what we look for in live music, why we enjoy live music. I think it's it's going to be a fun topic. And for those unaware, Knockback, as I said, is a retro and nostalgia podcast supported on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You can listen on free feeds, of course, and we appreciate that. Leave us nice reviews if you do. But if you could support us on Patreon at any level that you possibly can, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, five dollars a month, you can get early ad free access to the show. You get each show a week early. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to the show, get exclusive podcasts, etc. Your support is essential and we do appreciate it very much. Now, as the audience knows, we begin episodes of Knockback with new and fun things that Dagan likes to do segments. This segment, Dagan, that we're doing for this wave of 10 episodes is called Win, Lose, and Draw. 
I'm so excited about this one. So why don't you explain a little bit to the audience what's going on? Okay. And we'll get into it. Okay. So to recap, guys, we're opening with win, lose, and draw based on sort of that 80s game show you guys may or may not remember called win, lose, or draw. And that was a game show based on Pictionary, basically. So this whole game is sort of a Pictionary-esque thing for Colin. He's going to have a minute. We'll put him on the timer. And he has to draw... He has to choose from a bowl I have here in my hand, a topic. It's a very broad-ranging topic. And he'll choose something from that topic to write, uh, to draw, rather. And then uh, he'll have a minute to get it down on paper to the best of his ability. And once we know, my ability is... (laughs) Quite limited. I don't know. I think I think you're getting better. I've drawn a Dreamcast and a Cobra logo so far, and they are. <laughs> I think Dagan thinks that I'm. I'm not. This is the best I can do. I know. I think I think you're doing a good job. I think the first two were easy to guess. So as long as you keep going with that, it's not about. It's not about making a beautiful drawing. It's about making something that with clarity. That's true, and I am two for two so far. And you're two for two, right? So you're going to choose a topic from the bowl, draw, and at the end of it. I'll have one guess to guess what it is. And of course, also, guys, it is another little thing tied into the segment. We're going to choose a name out of a bowl. These are about 60 or 70 Patreon supporters that we cut into little slivers here. Mm-hmm. We didn't cut their, them into slivers. No, yeah, not my, yet. My God. We'll do an episode about that <laughs> later. <laughs> we cut their names into little slivers. And they're going to win the drawing signed by Colin, which we will mail out to you guys. And we'll also put the drawings on Twitter so you could see them. God bless. And Instagram. I think All right, you're really going to so enjoy them. You choose the name first. I'm reaching right. across the call with the bowl. He's going to choose a name, a winner. The winner is Luis Cancato, Hello. or the loser, depending on the way you look at it. <laughs> so I'll hand this bowl back to you. Okay, let me take that back. And then let's back. exchange. All right, and bowls. now he is going to, Colin is going to choose the broad-ranging topic, something to draw. He'll he'll read it to us. He'll okay. let us know what so it is. So the broad-ranging topic today will this be. This time. Draw a vegetable times two. So two, two different vegetables. vegetables. Two vegetables. You okay. have a minute. All right. Or I'll make it, I'll no, make it interesting for you. Okay. Would you like to draw one vegetable in 30 seconds? No, I can do it. I mean, okay, the, the, two vegetables. You ask for it. And I'm going to deliver it. That sounds more. I like your style. I like your style, Kyle. All right. So let me get the timer out. Okay. We have a minute on the clock. Now you let me know when you're ready. I'm ready to go. Let's do okay, it. Okay. He's got his Sharpie. He's got his paper. Okay. Go, Kyle. He's got one minute, guys, to draw two vegetables. Any vegetables he wants. I don't know what he's going to draw. The idea is I'm going to guess when... I'm not looking. I'm going to guess when he's done. And I only have one guess. He's scribbling furiously over there. He's sketching. I am. I'm just trying to feel it out right now. Yeah, I like the sketching. I'm just trying to feel it out right now. You have to have those ideas in your head. Again, it's all... How much time do I have? You have about 40 seconds left. You're doing fine on time. You have all the time in the world. <laughs> you know, it's all about, you guys know how it is with Pictionary. If you play, it's all about clarity. It's not about making a beautiful drawing. It's just making, you know, getting those shapes to get the eye to discern what it is. I love Pictionary. I could play that all day. We were playing this weekend with that. It was fun. Okay, I'm done. All right, and you had five seconds left. Look at you. All right, Kyle. Are you ready to show me? Reveal. Y- y- yes. The reveal. Oh, I could already see. They're good. That <laughs> that is a triangular building with an antenna on top. Yes, and one of those um, yokai things from um, Princess Mononoke. Yes, correct. No, is carrot and mushroom. Yes. Now, 
Technically, I wanted to be technical here. Please. You said vegetables times two. Oh. Mushroom might be a, considered a fungus. Fungi. So I, fungi. He's a real fun guy. Oh, so, so you drew two so carrots. So I drew two carrots because you didn't, I see. You didn't specify that I it had to be two different vegetables. I didn't. I didn't. But nonetheless, I'll accept it. Let me put... I'll there you go. Look at that. I'll there you go. It. I signed that for you. And... I think I knew... You got... You, you think vegetable, right? Easy vegetable to draw. Carrot's the first thing that comes to mind, right? It's a pretty good carrot. That's Let's a, be honest. It's a pretty good carrot. It's a damn good carrot. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> carrots, my friend. Oh, look at that signature. Beautiful. All right. I'm going to put that aside. My signature is wonderful. You. Re- it really is. Do you have... a? Who, who won that? Luis? Luis Cancado won or lost. Hand that back to me, Carl. We got to okay. keep this organized, my friend. All right. Sorry oh. about being off camera, my, my guys and girls. All right. Cool. I mean, off mic. All right. Now, with that tomfoolery out of the way, we let's get, get started in, on our Let's episode. get into the topic, shall let's we? Let's do it. So, uh, Dig, I feel like we should just go back and forth. And I would really that sounds be, great. I'd really be curious if you, maybe you would start. Okay. With, you know, and, and these don't have to be like mine are no in no specific order. When we did our favorite albums from our childhood, those were in alphabetical order by band. But these are really just an order that I thought about them. So, OK, I, I'd really love to hear your preliminary thoughts okay. and, and what concert you'd like to begin with as we discuss this today. This is going to be super fun. I love this. This is one of those topics that Colin and I don't really discuss too much beforehand. So it really adds to like a genuine conversation and surprising each other. I like that a lot. Now, Kyle, I wanted to preface it just for a minute by saying. I had to really think about this. Now, I didn't go to a ton of concerts as a kid. And in fact, my first concert that I really went to that I remember going to like on my own of my own volition and paid for it myself and everything was probably between between well, late in high school, I would say. So I waited quite a long time to go to my first concert, which is interesting. It's not that's kind of an anomaly. You don't hear that very much. And you know what I think it is? And I wanted to get your take on it, too. Well, not what I think it is. I know what it is, is that. I wasn't really interested in going to concerts, I think, for two reasons. One, well, first of all, I really liked certain bands as a kid, even as a young kid, eight, nine, ten years old. Duran Duran, Prince, yeah. right? Oh. Genesis I really liked, which dad turned me on to. And then later on in junior high school, like I was really into hair metal, like Poison and Cinderella Rat. and Rat. I, like I loved those bands very much. But I think I wasn't really interested in in the personalities or you know the fame aspect of like wanting to see them in person i had no absolutely no desire to like oh i have to go see brett michaels in person like i have to you know what i mean i was content to listen to the music on the radio and watch music videos that was fine for me and you know what the other thing and i really wanted to get your take on this call as a musician because you're a musician and i'm i have no musical inclinations whatsoever that i really didn't like to hear live versions of music i wanted to hear the radio version the version we were used to and it actually really bugged me to hear live music because it sounds different you know inherently the musicians might try something different you know whether they're just tired of playing the same songs over and over again they sort of scat and do something a little different or it just sounds different the acoustics are different you know everything you know the quality of the sound is different i hated that as a kid i wanted to hear the radio version like if it was a Duran Duran song, like let's say the Reflex or something, right? Love that song. I did not want to hear like an unplugged version of the Reflex, you know. And I think that's what really kept me away from wanting to go to concerts as a kid, because even Dana and Allie, I think our sisters, definitely attended concerts earlier than I did. So I think once I got out of that mind frame as a kid of wanting to. Now, what's your take on that? So, 
I think that there's a difference between like live albums and listening to live cuts and being at the show and listening to it as it's mixed properly and as you're in the atmosphere. Like like I've heard the exact version, like 311, for instance, I've seen 311 26 times or something like wow, that. Wow, holy cow. There, you know, there's a big environment in 311 fandom for, you know, soundboard recordings and videos and stuff and people record entire concerts. There are like probably a half dozen 311 concerts in their entirety that I've been to that I was at that are on YouTube. Right. And it's different watching it. It's still great. Like yeah. I saw them in San Francisco a few years ago and that entire show is on YouTube. And I was there. I was there like right in the crowd and I watched it and it was an amazing show. If you watch it on YouTube, it's still fun, but it's not as good. So I think that you have to kind of be in the moment for me. There are some bands that have really bad reputations playing live that aren't good live or that do what you do and are great live, but that do kind of riff like Dave Matthews is a band like that. And Fish is a band like that, where like Fish will play like or Umphrey's McGee. They'll play like 10 or 11 songs and they'll play them for two and a half hours. Right. They'll extend, which it. I fucking hate. You don't like that. Now, that's I hate it. Now, that's a thing where Umphrey's McGee is a good example. I really like that band. Uh, I like them in college a lot. They're kind of like a jam band, but I would never want to see them live because they're already seven minute songs turned into 20 minute jams. And I'm like, that's fucking horrible. <laughs> like, I, I I don't like that. I, I, so I'm with you where I hear you on that. when I go see a band, I want to see them play the songs from the album as they're on the album. But I want to hear them live. And 311 is a great example where they are so much harder live and are consider renowned for being excellent live. Like, I've turned so many people on to 311 by bringing them to a 311 show. That's so cool. You know? And so I think that live music has a different spirit. And I, so I guess what I'm saying is, is that I'm with you where 311 has a live record that came out in 1998, like a real album. And I I'm, wasn't, I have it, but I'm like, I don't really want to listen to this. You know, like I, I would be different if I was there because it would be really fun and it would sure. be mixed perfectly and I'd be in the crowd and I'd have that energy. So I think those are two different things. Absolutely. And I think that once you get over that hump and also start to identify the things that you want to see live, like I'm a big hip hop fan, just like you are. But I think and we've discussed this, I think, in the past, I think most live hip hop is awful. Like there, there's for all of the hip hop I've seen live, very little of it was worth it. Yeah. You know, it's just not very good. I hear you on that. It doesn't play well live. They often skip entire verses. They do a lot of medleys and yeah. weird shit like that. That a lot of guests. Yeah. Usually For me, I'm like, I don't know. That's more what you're talking about, where it's like it's more fame and more just seeing the person. Sure. As opposed to and I'm not saying that's for all hip hop. There are certainly bands that are hip hop groups like De La. Wu-Tang is pretty good live, etc. But there are where I'm like, this is hard. No, I totally you know? hear you on that. And that's a great point, really. So I also think that's different. I think that there are some bands that are better live than they are on their albums, too. And so I think that there's a there's something there as well. That's so, really interesting, too. Music is an interesting thing, Dig, and an interesting art, in my opinion, because no one, I don't want to say no one, but if you enjoy fine painting, your wife's a painter, right? A very talented yep. painter. No one really wants to watch lean paint. They want the end product. Exactly. Right. Which in music would be the album. Right. But music's not like that. We want to see the production of the music and them playing it live because it's always different. It's a great point. You know, I've seen again, seeing 311 so many times, they'll play a song like down. I've seen them play the song down every time I've seen them live, except for one time they didn't play it, which was weird. And it's always different. You know, sometimes it's really fast. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's in the beginning. Sometimes they open with it. Sometimes they play it in the encore. Sometimes they play it in the middle. It's always fun, like especially when you see bands that always play different sets. Now, I saw Elton John in Vegas last year and I looked online at his set list and they're the same every night. So I knew exactly what he's going to play. OK, and that kind of sucks. 
But you never know. That's surprising. You never know what 311 is going to play live. Right. That's cool. You know, and actually one of the concerts I'll talk about is when I got to go backstage and see them and watch them backstage. And one of the exciting things for Ramon and I at that show was seeing the set list early. You know, it was everywhere. And I was like, I, you know, for seven hours before the show, I knew what they were going to play. There's always a set list, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. They there don't has just, to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, there's one taped on the stage in front of each person and one or two with the mixers and the sound guys and the roadies and stuff. And I saw it. I'm like, I know exactly what they're playing tonight. That's so you know? interesting. Can that go down to the wire as far as like figuring it all out? Yeah. So I don't I can't speak for all bands, but 311. And again, I guess there'll be a common theme for me in this in the show. But. They have a website, as lots of people do, that track all the songs they played, when the last time they played a song, how many times they played, how rare it is, and all that kind of stuff. And they list each set list, and sometimes songs are in parentheses where they're on the set list but not played. And then sometimes there's a plus sign next to them because they added it during the show. Like, because I've been to shows where they're like, we were going to play this, but does everyone want to hear this? And then like they play that instead. And so there's no time to play the other song. And so they scratch it off. So yeah, makes sense. But you know, a band like 311 with a, you know, repertoire of 12 or 13 albums before a con or before, you know, a a tour begins, they'll probably practice for a little while and say like, we're going to put these 70 songs in a rotation, you know, or these 60 songs, or these are our 15 staples that we have to play half of them every show. So we're going to play Amber and we're going to play Down and we're going to play All Mixed Up. But then we have this group of 60 songs that we have played recently that we will also throw in 15 of them. Yeah. So you never know what you're going to get. That's, you know, and that makes it worth going to a show because you're going to get something different from the album. So I understand that, too. I mean, I've seen 311 probably uh, there was a time when I saw, I think, six back to back shows of them playing when I was in college and they played a, a totally different set every night each time. Yeah. Wow. You know, with like some, you know, whatever album I think it was don't tread on me at the time was the new album. They'd play a bunch of songs off of that. They'd play down an Amber and then you'd get 12 different songs every night, you know? And yeah. So that's fun. That makes sense. So I think it depends on who you're seeing and why and what, you know, you know, those are all great points. Yeah. But in any event, when I got yeah, when sorry. I got no, that's Went okay. No, not at all. I really wanted your take on that as a musician because I'm sort of a layman when it comes to that, you know, but so, you know, basically when I, I guess, matured musically, my musical tastes matured and I sort of grew out of that, you know, I became more interested in going to concerts and, you know, definitely like being there to appreciate the live performance, which is something that's really striking to me because I admire musical talent so much because I don't have any. And, you know, being able to be there to, I think I would argue to, you know, proving out our fandom for a certain group or band makes us feel good. You know, being there, knowing we're supporting them in the flesh, that's, a you know, an expression of your true fandom as how much you love the group or band. So that's another big reason why I wanted to go to concerts eventually as I got older or later, you know, to my middle to late teens. And, you know, so I tried to round out my choices by bands and groups that I really do love and different locations and venues where they played, which I think, you know, sort of adds to, you know, the anecdotes and then just fun anecdotes and memories associated with those performances. So the first one I want to start with, I have to start with, you know, if you guys listen to the show, you know my my one of my favorite groups of all time, De La Soul. Long Island's own. Long Island's own De La Soul. I saw them, I saw De La, I had to really think about this, at least four times, but I think it was more than that. And I saw them at a wide range of venues. Now, all my selections today, I basically chose four. I told Colin this yesterday. I chose four concerts for myself. And then I'm going to talk about one of dad's concert anecdotes from when he was younger and one of mom's from when she was very young. So I have six altogether. But for my own, for my first one, for De La, I believe I saw them four times. I know I saw them at, I saw them at, a, I think I talked about this on the podcast before, I guess on our albums episode. I saw De La at a very, very small, intimate venue in Philly 
in West in University City, I was invited by a promoter who I was friendly with. He might have been a friend of a friend or something. And he came up to me when I was working one day. I worked at Urban Outfitters in Philly. And he came up and he was like, dude, do you want to go to a show tonight? Daylas playing at this. I, I never heard of it. It was like a, basically a bar. And I thought he was full of shit because he was like, it's like a 200 person venue or something. And they're going to be there. They're doing a favor for the, you know, the promoter or for the, for the bar owner or whatever. I don't know how it kind of played out. I'm not sure how they got them, but sure enough, I got there and they played a full set. I think at that time, the stakes is high album had just came out, come out. So they had like 96, 90. This was, did I see them in? Yeah, that must have been 96 that time. All my shows that I chose for today are from 95, only range from 95 to 2002, I think. So there's only there's already a tight time frame in there, including all the De La shows that I saw. I, I believe are all in that time frame. But so this was probably 96-ish. I know it was the winter. I know it was really cold because we had the taxi up to University City. And it was awesome. And it was the first time I got to meet them and sort of just converse with them briefly, you know, talk about being from Long Island and stuff. It was a lot of fun. And it was, it was really this, you know, I remember being so, it was a really striking experience for me because a lot of the people there weren't even fans. I remember they were just at the bar and it was almost, almost to the point where you're like, all right, it's De La Soul. You feel a little bad for them. Like they're way above playing this venue, but for some reason, you know, and you know what else was really striking to me about that show, Kyle? They didn't just phone it in because there was only 200 people there and probably half of those people weren't interested. They performed. You know, they spoke to the audience. They had a sort of a rapport with the audience. They, you know, at, between every song, they said a few things. They joked around. They were really lively and energetic. And all of them, all three of them were. And that really spoke to me about them. You know, and that was the first time. I think I got to talk to them a couple of times. That was maybe the first time. I believe that was the first time I got to talk to them. And that was a whole thing. You know, you and I have spoken about this before, about not meeting your heroes, Right. Because that could lead to extreme disappointment if it doesn't go well or it doesn't go at least up to your expectations. But they were so friendly and down to earth to me. And, you know, I tried not to bother them. I tried not to keep them for too long. I tried to be really mindful and respectful of that. But they were all really cool. And they were like, oh, you're from Long Island and gave me a pound. And we just talked. And I said, the show was great. And I love the album. And, you know, what are you guys doing in Philly? And, you know, the whole thing, just small talk. And it was, you know, I tried to only keep them for a minute or two. And it was a lot of fun. One of the one of my greatest experiences with, you know, fandom in general, meeting anybody, whether it be, you know, be a performer, actor, musician, artist, whatever. That was like one of my most memorable times. And they played not only that, but they played for a long time. I think they were on stage for probably, you know, and again, it was like this little stage, you know, off to the side of big, basically a bar. It was a big bar, but they probably played for an hour, at least an hour. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And I remember the tickets were like $36 or something. You know, I didn't pay. I had passes. I went with a friend. I went with a friend of mine's girlfriend because he was visiting. He was home in New York. He was from New York, too. We went to school together in Philly. So she was just like, oh, I'll go with you to the show. You know, so go by yourself. And it was awesome. And she wasn't a big De La Soul fan, but she had fun, too. You know, so it was just that was uh, such a striking experience for me. So where where's your number one? What's That's your, a, what are you going to go with? So. I guess, again, these were written down in my notebook for, you know, in the order that they came to my mind. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I have a bunch of honorable mentions, too, but because I really do like live music and I've been to many concerts. I've probably been I've been to probably over 100 concerts, I would assume. Wow. At this point. Really? I would Holy assume so. Crap. I mean, again, I've seen 311 alone 
26 times. Now, yeah. what was your, unless this is part of your story, yeah. um, what was your first concert? What was the My fir first concert was B.B. King. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think in 97. Yeah. 97. Yeah, okay. saw him on Long Island. What what uh, what is that? See we're 13. What is that small venue west? What the hell is it called on Long Island? Shit. Where is it on Long Island? It's well, Westbury. Oh, you at Westbury? Yeah, yeah, uh, that, yeah. It, yeah. It's like a circular venue. It's yeah. small, and like the stage kind of turns, or at least it did. I went with Dad, uh, our sister Allie, and our sister Allie's boyfriend at the time, Skip, who got, who was a big musician, who was the one who got me my first drum kit, actually who that's awesome was a huge musician he's the guy who got me in a weezer and all this stuff when i was you know very young but anyway music fair right that's where music fair yeah but, yeah that's what yeah, it was yeah uh, i think it's like still a, yeah, there yeah it was a small venue i what i remember about that show is that the bb king had an opener it was like some female black soul singer okay who was incredibly inappropriate I, that's what i remember is like it was very sexual and like oh wow and all that kind of stuff and i remember dad being like younger super she, yeah she well no she was probably like in her 40s or so okay but i remember dad being i think i was like 12 or 13 so i think dad was like super uncomfortable with it but i, I was now like, are you talking about the way she was dressed no she was like talking about i don't remember exactly it was like wow. it was a lot of sexual innuendo and stuff like you know normal r&b and blues yeah. well not blue r&b and jazz and all that kind of stuff so and here you are 12 13 yeah, years old yeah i don't remember specifically what she said and it probably wasn't even that awful but i remember dad being like a little uncomfortable with it <laughs> but the first concert that i wrote down was when i saw 311 in philadelphia in 2017, in the summer of 2017, I stayed with you during that time. It was you right did? after I founded this company. And so my best friend, Ramon, who listens to this show and, and is obviously a big supporter of ours, who actually writes all the music for Collins Last Stand. So if you like the intro music to this or you like Sacred Symbols music or you like Fireside Chats music, you know, Ramon wrote all that music. Talented dude. And he wrote all that music alongside some guys from a band called Bad Rabbits. And I'm friends with those guys. And Ramon is in Bad Rabbits. He's he mixes between guitar and bass. He's not an original member, but they've lost a few guys. So he basically steps in when they tour. He basically steps in and plays either bass or guitar, depending on what their need is. And Bad Rabbits was opening for 311 in Philadelphia. Just what that one show. And so cool. So Ramon's like, well, we got to get you, you know, to come to the show because we'll have backstage passes and we can hang out during, or during the day and do sound check and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I went, I took the train, you drove me to the train. I took the train into Philadelphia because Dagan lives on the outside of Philadelphia and, you know, walked down to the venue. It was that. What is it called? Uh, it's right by the bridge. Uh, yeah, where I was going to ask you, where was it's that? like literally like right on almost underneath. Was it the Delaware Bridge? Factory? No, it I, I don't know what it's called. It's like some sponsored little. It's not even an amphitheater. It's like literally just like a stage and like just dirt. I don't know. like right next to a, a street. I don't yeah, know. I don't remember what it was called. OK, but that concert was it wasn't the best music I had ever heard, but it was the most impact I've ever felt for so many. I mean, I can go on and on about that day, about how special that day was. You know, this is a venue that holds several thousand people. 311 is like a mid-sized band. They have security and they have it's a very professional outfit. And I remember going, you know, Ramon like called me. He's like, go around back. I'll let you in. There was a security guard there to some young kid. And we didn't have we could have totally been lying to this guy. Like Ramon's like, I'm in the opening band. He's with us. He's helping us set up. Whatever. And they were just cool. And he's like, all right. And then just walk by. So that was like literally my only interaction with any security. And it could have gone south if that guy was like, oh, well, we need like. <laughs> and so I helped the guys move their gear in and, you know, get set up and stuff like that. And, you know, I met the 311 multiple times. And it was just really quite fascinating to me to witness, you know, not only my favorite band who I got to watch on the side of the stage, you know, next to this, next to their roadies or whatever, two feet from them, you know, basically. It's fantastic. And so that was fun. But also 
just seeing how a professional tour operates. You know, I was really quite fascinated by it. It's credit. It's incredibly professional. Like I said, it's incredibly hardworking and these guys are getting everything, <clears throat> everything set up and just constantly working and restringing guitars and basses and fixing drums and getting all the mics set up and sound checking and Elms must be so much work. <clears throat> I got there during sound check. They were playing first dimension, which is a song from a, one of their newest records that I really love. And I was like, wow, so what a good omen. You know, they don't ever play the song and they were sound checking that song when they sound should 311 notoriously sound check songs that they do not play that night. Usually they're practicing to play that song the next night or the night. after. Oh, that's <clears throat> interesting. So it's like a double. It's like a thing where if they play that, you can expect to hear that song in a few days. Oh, okay. know, typically. Why do they do that? I think just to throw people off the scent. Yeah, I think list. A is that they have such a hardcore and crazy fan base that they would never sound check a song that people that are waiting online or whatever can hear. And then they're going to wow, play it again. That's actually very thoughtful. Yeah, I agree. So so they sound checked and, you know, we got up there. I met them. You know, I've met them before. I wouldn't expect that they would recognize me, but I met them. I shook all their hands and I talked to them a little while and stuff like that. And and, and again, very similar to your day law story where I kind of just respectfully left them alone. I wasn't, you know, it's You're very, very mindful. You're yeah, very I mean, polite. I'm a big fan of these guys for a long time. Yeah. You know, since the mid 90s, they've been my favorite band. It's been my favorite band for over 20 years. Long time. And I just I literally didn't initiate contact with them ever again after that. But there's a few cool things that happened that day that are really memorable to me. One is like just seeing all their roadies and all their stuff. I think I'll use for the for the picture for the thumbnail. I think I'll use a picture of me next to one of their cases with a 311 logo on it that I just took like I took a selfie with at that show. Um, yeah, because it's like all their gear, all their stuff, you know, getting taken out of you know trucks. Their their tour buses are all there. That's They're awesome. Going, and. You know, craft services like I just sat down. They were all eating all the roadies in the band. and All of us were eating together. And, you know, it was just really cool. And then one of the memorable things that happened was, you know, they have really good accommodations and stuff that the openers get like kind of shittier accommodations. So we were in like a small trailer with the band and the you know, we were kind of staying out of their way after Bad Rabbits had played and the band was walking by to go on stage. You know, right. Like and essay, the rapper in 311 knocked on our window, like looked in and knocked on the window and said, like, oh, did a really? thing, like, come out, you Get know? Out of here. And so they all, you know, they do a thing where they gather together before, and we all gathered in, like, a circle, and they did, like, their little thing, you know, and then... It's just, like, a little pep talk. Yeah, like, a little, thing. like, yeah. Good like luck you know, thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I was like, yeah, break a leg, guys. And then, uh, you know, they each gave me a pound when they walked by. Dude, that's so And sick. Nick, you know, they opened... What did they open with that night? They opened with something where Nick Nick Hexum, the lead singer, sometimes plays guitar, sometimes doesn't. It's a it's a fun game with 311 fans. When he walks on stage, if he has a guitar, then there's certain songs that he's going to play. If he doesn't, then there's certain songs that they're going to play. And so he was walking. It's a on, tip off. Yeah, it's like a tip off that like I think they opened with Homebrew or something, which is a song he would play, you know, second guitar on. And he, I my my big memory of it is getting a pound from him as he's walking by with the guitar in one hand and he gave me a pound. I'm like, Hey, break a leg out there, man. And he's like, yeah, cool. That's what he said. <laughs> as he, like, like that, I'm like, I don't think he even heard what I said or something like that. He's just, like, it was just a general yeah, response. He was like, yeah, cool. And like walked on stage and then 10 seconds later was like, you know, they were rocking out. Dude, that's so, that's amazing. And so I have all these videos and all these pictures from our perspective and the roadies were really cool to us. They, they've had the same team of guys working with them for a long time and they were very accommodating and very friendly to us. Like they knew that's with so Ramon weird. and I, especially, they knew I think they understood like this is a big moment for us. Yeah. Like to be able to see them like we're literally just a few feet away from them. A little embarrassing. One of I think their manager, like we were almost two on the stage and he pushed us back and he's like, I don't think so, guys. That's what he said. Oh, to us. did he really? Yeah. Like we were almost like too close too to the, close. Yeah, like too close to like being seen. And so he kind of like pushed us back. That was like an embarrassing, a little bit of an embarrassing moment for me. Yeah. But 
because I didn't realize or whatever. I, I, but the guys were like, you know, I remember one of the roadies during it. First of all, I think one of them offered us like a vape, like a weed vape pen when when, when everyone was going out. And then one of them was like, hey, do you guys want to like when they're playing, you guys want water or anything like that? You know, like that. I'm like, don't you have other things to worry about? It's just yeah. it's just cool watching. They each of them have their own roadie, all five of them. So it's interesting watching like the drum tech and the guitar tech and the bass tech and the guy that does the turntables and the vocals. And there's a guy just in charge. They have so many songs that they their vocals are on a screen in front of the stage just in case they get stuck. Yeah. So there's a guy that's just responsible for scrolling, for, the, the, for just scrolling the prompter. Yeah. It was a really neat experience. And it, it was we were graced by amazing. an amazing set list, too. Like they played hydroponic and brodels and, you know, wildfire. Great, hard hitting songs and it was funny because i remember the set from the night before was awful like i remember oh. t- telling everyone i'm like that set sucks oh man you know you like, weren't there that night. no they played somewhere else they played in like new jersey or whatever and I was oh, like, okay. oh man Different. dude like they it just was this this mixture of songs where i'm like oh so you got lucky it's, yeah so like then they just banged it out and i remember seeing the set list i have a picture of it on my phone still on one of the roadies things and ramon told me not to tell him what they were playing like he was like i don't want to know like he avoided it <laughs> Because um, I was telling them, I'm like, they're playing some cool shit tonight, man. They're playing some stuff that they don't usually play. And and so, yeah, it was a really amazing experience and like a once in a lifetime kind of thing, I think. And to your point about meeting heroes, we've talked about that before, where like I would be really nervous to meet Jerry Seinfeld or Larry David or something, especially how snarky they are and stuff. I think it, I'm so in love with them and I don't want to even meet them. Ever. You don't want to taint your. Yeah, I don't want them to be mean to me or to have some weird interaction or bother them, that. you know. And I guess you could have a similar interaction with 311, but I had met them so, you know, not so many times, but several times where they were always really nice to us and nice to me. Like I met SA behind a show in Worcester, Massachusetts in 2003 behind the venue. We were at a bar in Memphis in 2006 before 311 Day where they were all there. I remember you telling me And that was that. an amazing experience for us. Like they were all sitting at the bar and they were very welcoming and accommodating. So I had a feeling that you are a band like this that no longer gets radio play and all that kind of stuff yeah. that you you maintain your following by being cool. Absolutely. And... So I was not surprised, but, but but it was it was quite pleasant, you know, and it's a, an experience I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. And I'm very thankful to Ramon. I'm very thankful to, for the Bad Rabbits. Oh, it's so cool. It's, it's such for a including. wonderful story. You know, really, it's so, so cool to hear. Now, how long did they play that night? The night you were there? They always play. They typically play between 20 and 23 songs. They play, I think, for like 90 minutes to 100 minutes, you know, um, and they you know, what's fun about them again is that they have such a repertoire of songs going back to the late 80s that. You just don't know what you're going to get. And the more albums that they put out, unfortunately, the set lists get a little bit more diluted because there's always songs that they have to touch on. And then songs are added that they have to touch on, like new singles and stuff like that or the new album. So, yeah, unfortunately, like when I used to see them in 2000, 2001, 2002, when they only had five albums, you would hear all sorts of shit that you would never hear today. So that's the one disappointing part. But the other thing is, is that they seem to acknowledge that their their fans just don't care for certain albums that much and they just avoid them. You know, so or generally avoid them. Maybe they'll play them at 311 Day or they'll play them on the 311 Cruise when they play, you know, at 311 Day, they play five hours. They play, you know, Holy 80 shit. songs or something like that. So you hear lots of yeah, shit. Yeah, you hear a lot. Um, big variety. So, yeah, I, you know, because I was tempted to put 311 Day 2004 and 311 Day 2006 on here. And those were amazing shows. 311 Day 2004 is definitely an honorable mention show for me. But th- this show, for that reason, I really stood out to me. And there's another 311 show I'll talk about in a minute. That's important to me for a different reason. I figured but, there'd be more than one. Yeah, but. Yeah, so that's that's the concert that came to mind for me first. I don't know that that's just from an experiential standpoint. I don't know that that's ever going to be beat for me. You that's know? your top. Like it was just that's something that anyone that's a fan of any band would dream about. Yeah. You know, just just having and just having that experience be good. And everyone I had no business being backstage. 
It's amazing that you got a chance to do that. And they just, no one bothered me at all. Like, I just walked around and did whatever I wanted. It's so cool. As yep. a super fan, like, what could, be, what could be better than that? I knew it wasn't the first time you met them. I knew you had met them before, but I knew this was a special, particularly intimate moment for you because, you know, again, you got to see all those inner workings and that mechanism behind stage and everything like that. It's, you know, of your favorite band ever. Yeah. So that's a whole different perspective. It was very neat. So I, I, I'm very thankful to 311 for not, you know, for I think they kind of know who I am from online because I, I have a you know I'm, I'm verified on Twitter and I tweet at them sometimes and sometimes they tweet back and I think that they you know I tweeted out a picture and thanked them the next day and they acknowledged that and stuff so I think they you know not that, that they know me but they, I think they kind of know who I was or who I am in terms of like you know a big fan a big supporter and a big fan of Bad Rabbits and yeah so it was, it was a very neat that's cool they're active on social media yeah uh, the band is and then two of them have their own accounts too uh, oh, that's the, cool. the others uh, some some of the guys are on Instagram as well but yeah so it's it's cool and and as they are still in their original lineup and they're getting older they're you know they're in their late 40s now and you know so who know you know I, hopefully they tour for many years to come but who knows you know and you know there's still money to be made so I'm sure that they're going to keep going but absolutely you know, they have so, a following they have a, dev- yeah. a devoted following and, and you know what's really cool about the story too Kyle that he to hear that the whole you know the whole group not only the band but the roadies and the techs and everybody that that's a fan like you know this long you know this family that's been together for a long time that's really cool to hear about a band like that because it's a family then yeah definitely you know, it seems like they all know family. each other they, there's a lot of familiarity with each other it seems like and yeah it's that's really neat it was neat i don't remember who the other band there was some other band from europe that opened as well i don't remember what they, their name was they did a what i remember about them is that they did a cover of sabotage by the beastie, beastie boys, boys. Which was pretty good, but I don't. I didn't know them. They always pull these weird bands too that don't necessarily sound like them too. Like that, you know. Everyone I've seen bands open for the Eleven from like the Roots and Incubus to Medeski Martin Wood and G Love and Special Sauce and all sorts of weird. Yes. You know, all they're, they're it's just all very that. eclectic. You know, stuff. So which yeah. is cool. And you know, people are probably wondering out there. I have to ask you, Kyle, not to spend too much more time on this, but how did Ramon and the Bad Rabbits get involved? How did they get the chance to open for Three Eleven? So Bad Rabbits is a Boston-based band that is, I think, the remnants of a band that we used to know from when we were in college called the Eclectic, the Eclective Collective, or the Eclectic Collective, and I think some of them went to Berkeley. Berkeley is a music school in Boston, gotcha. and then some Northeastern guys and whatever. So they had been playing for a while, and they have you know a label and and they're active and they tour and stuff like that. So I think Three Eleven, you know, just took a liking to them a while ago, and. They, I think they might have played on one of 311's cruises or something. So they're familiar with each other. Like I had noticed that when everyone was meeting that they had all known each other already. And so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think it was just that they were in the right area at the right time. They needed, you know, 311 often has a third op- or a second opener, you know, one off openers um, that just play in certain cities. And I think that that was just an opportunity that was presented to so them cool. on, on their own tour. I think Bad Rabbits was touring, like doing a small five or six city tour. And this was just one of their stops. As well. OK, OK, that's neat. Yeah. Super neat. Dude. Very cool. Very cool experience. So, uh, Dave, what's number two on your list? Number two, I think I'm going to go with my next one, Kyle. <laughs> this is a funny one. 1999, I was living in Connecticut at the time, and I think it's the only concert I ever saw up there. I only spent about a year and a half living up there outside of Hartford um, in Connecticut. But it was, I don't know if I ever told you about this show. You have to tell me. It was Rat, Poison, L.A. Guns, and Cinderella. Yeah, I think you, I remember you seeing Rat and Poison. That's an amazing lineup. I mean, what L.A. Guns, dude. I mean, pretty crazy, right? That's awesome. It was at this venue that I had never, I knew it was there. It's right near downtown Hartford. And at the time, I believe it was called the Meadows Music Theater. 
and I think it was owned by Live Nation at the time, and it was sort of a half indoor, half outdoor venue, massive. You could see it from like the highway from like 84. It's just this huge amphitheater, huge lawn, and just like acres of field parking. You know, you always saw it like, what is that place? So my my friend Joe, who you know, and I, and my friends Dan and Gene, you know all those guys. Um, we decided that it would be cool and nostalgic. We were, we were all about around the same age. And, you know, it was nostal- the hair, whole hair metal thing was nostalgic for us. So we're like, yeah, this show is happening in Hartford. Let's do it. Let's get the tickets and we'll go. And so it was the four of us. And then Joe had friends. Joe's from Jersey, North Jersey, outside of Newark. He decided to have a bunch of friends come in and join him for the weekend. And they went to the show with us. So there was probably like seven or eight of us. And we piled into a couple of cars and we went. And it was outrageous, dude. It was the first, the first time I ever saw, was it the first time? It was at least one of the first times I ever saw a non-hip-hop show before. So I believe this venue, now it was just outside. It was just on the lawn. So the out, it wasn't an indoor-outdoor. It was just on the lawn. I think the lawn sat like 30,000 people. So by far the biggest show I had ever been to. And... We, I remember getting there. I was particularly excited. I love rat. I'm a particularly big rat fan. Round and, round. <laughs> and I think, oddly, you would think it would be rat. And I think you should say poison before rat, or else it sounds like you're saying rat poison. Right, right. But poison and rat would be the headliners, and then Cinderella and LA Guns would maybe open up. Yeah, but you it would didn't work so. like that. Interesting. So Rat apparently opened the show, and by the time we got there, I think they only had like a couple of songs. Oh, left. that's so disappointing. So I was really bummed out from the beginning. And then Poison went on. And we got settled and we got our $15 beers and everything like that. And we're on the lawn and we're really like up on the in the nosebleeds. But that was okay because it was like sort of like this grassy knoll area. So the vantage point, even though it was far, was really nice because we were high up. Right. So. You were in the school book depository for us. <laughs> we were really high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Times two was insane. But... Just to keep the references going. <laughs> what was funny about it was Brett Michaels that night, lead singer of Poison, was so belligerent with security there and which he is actually no famous for apparently you know sort of sparring with the with the venue owners and the security and stuff to the point where it was a complete distraction like he was yelling at them between every song and why don't you let the people get closer to the stage and like <laughs> you know this is this is fucking bullshit man like it was like it went on for a long way like a super long time it was like getting ridiculous actually and we're like you know i at that point too i really wanted to see cinderella i was a huge cinderella fan in fact cinderella was probably the first band t-shirt that i owned i probably got a cinderella shirt like the black cinderella shirt with the purple logo and like the really pixelated version of the you know picture photo of the band right right black and purple i was probably 13 so that was my very first cinderella i was a huge cinderella fan so i'm waiting for cinderella i'm not particularly you know concerned with la guns but the other three bands that's what that's what we're there for you know and ps2 the parking was ridiculous dude i'm i'm not exaggerating we parked in a mile away from the show like we walked through 14 different fields or something (laughs) of car like i just remember the pickup trucks it was just like endless waves of pickup trucks. You know, it was so funny because probably at that time, I'm thinking in the late 90s, you're thinking of the fandom. 
it's suburban to to rural Connecticut. You have a certain contingent of like those ty- type of dudes, a little older than us. You got the big, they got the big pickup trucks and everything. It was just like sea a sea of pickup trucks. But that I that was the most striking thing about the night for me was Brett Michaels fighting just see just it was just like a ceaseless battle with security, you know. And they were you know they were getting more upset and he was getting more agitated the further and further. And the band is getting agitated. I don't the one thing I don't think CC Deville. Who is CC the bass guitarist or the lead guitar? I, think I thought he was the guitarist, but I, I think wrong. he's lead guitar. He wasn't there with somebody else. I don't know if they had a schism in the band at that point, or he might have been sick at some point. I don't know. Don't quote me. But the rest of the original members were there, and it was just a great. It was just, we had a blast. You know, we had a, and Joe lived really close to downtown Hartford, not far from where the amphitheater was or the venue was. So we got to stay there, and we we were able to drink, and we didn't have to go too far. I think. One of the girls, one of Joe's friends, actually drove my car back. So it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. And I think it's still, to this day, the biggest show I've ever been to. And that venue, I had to look, do a little research. That venue is still there. It's called the Xfinity Theater now. I guess Comcast owns it. But it's the same thing. Same exact type of indoor-outdoor venue. It was a lot of fun. That like an was amphitheater kind of situation. Total, amph- yeah. total amphitheater. Just big, big, famous venue. Because, you know, Hartford's an interesting place because it's in between you know, Boston and New York, but it's not necessarily close to either place. So it's nice for a city like that, you know, a, you know, a more middling sized city to have a venue like that. For sure. You know, it was really, really nice venue, actually. Hartford, uh, New England's rising star, as the billboards used to say. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's what it used it's to like say. It's like the but... insurance capital of the world or something. Yeah, right? when you would drive up 95 to go back to school and I would go back and forth, you'd always see these billboards like toad in Hartford for a while. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, I wonder with that particular lineup, because I agree with you, in order, you would think L.A. Guns would go first and then Cinderella, then Rat, and then Poison. I that, would think so. I Definitely. think that, that maybe you would switch Cinderella and and Rat, but I don't even Rat's think Rat's so. been around longer, yeah. but Cinderella, I mean, Poison probably reached a higher crescendo at their top of their game. My theory is is that on, you hear sometimes on tours like that where they, they cycle so that there's no problems. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like where they like... sure. They so, trade off. Yeah, like L.A. Guns, you know, because L.A. Guns going last is actually the weirdest part of the story. Really they are strange. by far the smallest of those four I bands. I don't remember even seeing them. Maybe we left before they went on. That show went on for, you know, that was the other big thing. Like, that show went on for hours, you know. And again, we were late. We probably missed, a, you know, the first, you know, third of it. That sucks that you missed a rat. I wonder what they what they played <clears throat> that night. Have you, did you ever look, sometimes like when I... Uh, know that I've been at concerts I look on YouTube to see if anyone has them on there did you ever look I did I looked at this particular one I couldn't find it I couldn't find a lot of I tried to um, search it out by venue actually by the Xfinity Theater but they don't they didn't keep a you know sort of a backlog on their site or anything which I think would be really cool for someone you know I was I will talk about the Trocadero the Troc in Philly in a little while for one of my other ones you would think they would have a backlog of shows at least broken down by year, like what, you know, what happened there this year? It was a legendary punk club or whatever, you know, but no, I couldn't find anything on it. Yeah, because I always love like going back and just random, like it's not every concert today is on YouTube now, but it's always interesting when someone has like a random Rage Against the Machine show from 1993 and they on a VHS and they put it on YouTube. Like that kind of stuff, I think is so cool. Fake oh, No More so is another cool. band that has a lot of interesting stuff like that out oh, there. Oh, do so, they really? Yeah. So and they're one of my honorable mentions, of course. Nice, nice. My second one that I want to talk about is uh, Bare Naked Ladies when I saw them for the first time with Dana in the fall of 1998, because that was really my first rock concert, like my first 
real experience going to a rock concert, feeling like I was cool. I was like one of the youngest people there. I was with my older sister and it was it seemed like a real college crowd. This is when Dana lived in North Carolina and I think we saw them in Charlotte. Oh, cool. And how far was that from where she lived? I don't I really don't recall. I don't okay. recall much. What I recall most about this trip other than the show is that I, you know, I've had four Yankee hats in my life, four Yankee hats that I've worn for years at a time. And I lost one of them there. Oh, that's what I remember about it is that I lost a Yankee hat oh, at that, that show sucks. or at during that trip. And it was my, my Yankee hat where I had a, the Boba Fett logo like pin. I on remember that. that. Remember so that's that. like the other thing I remember about that trip. But that was during the stunt tour and stunt was when Bare Naked Ladies really for a lot of people really sold out. That's when they had one week, which was probably still, I think, their biggest song and all that. So there was a lot of casual fans there that had only known them from the radio and stuff. But nonetheless, they played a lot of great stuff from Gordon and from Born on a Pirate Ship. And maybe you should drive. And, you know, we, it's just there's not too much to say about it other than that. It was my first rock concert experience. You know, I had seen B.B. King already, but this was really my first experience seeing a band and their element we i remember we had pretty decent seats you it depends you know they played in like what looked like a college basketball arena it might even been at like unc or something i really don't recall the exact venue but or like a minor league hockey team play there or something okay and so you know the band is usually you know pushed up against the back where there's like a you know a horseshoe of seats that start you know at the edge like a 90 degree angle and go around and then there's no one behind you Depending on the, the acoustics of the the venue, you want to be in certain places and you typically don't want to be on the side of the stage. You want to be as close to the soundboard really as possible because that's where the sound is usually most pristine. But we were on the side of the stage and I remember we so we were on, you know, if you're facing the stage, we were on the left side of it, like kind of up. And I was perfectly content with those seats. You know, it was really a lot of fun and it was a good time. And just was, you and Dana? It was just Dana and I and, okay. you know. This was when Bare Naked Ladies was still their original lineup. Obviously, they're not in their original lineup anymore. And so, yeah, I, I don't remember. I remember the, you know, everyone singing along with when, when they finally, I think, played one week in the encore or something like that. But I remember that they really played a lot of deep cuts. And, you know, I had seen Bare Naked Ladies several times since then with Dana, but and probably not since 2000 or 2001. I don't think okay. I've seen them. But, but that was the first time. That was the first time. I think it was it was the fall of 98. And I think that it was my birthday present. Dana, oh, that's I cool. think Dana flew me down to North Carolina from oh, Ice wow. Slip or something like that. So, so yeah, we had a really good time and, you know, not too much else to say about it other than, yeah, I think I was in ninth grade or I just started ninth grade. Okay. And 14, just a very 15. memorable, you know, Bare Naked Ladies was a very formidable band for me. That, that was a really important rock band to me and, you know, very accessible, very, very goofy, very funny very Canadian. Yeah, they sort of have a lot of that lightheartedness. Yeah, like the songs are, are some of the songs are quite serious, but you know, very serious actually, but nonetheless, they have a goofy air to them. Like yeah. the, their videos are silly and they're, you know, they're nerds. You know, I like how the drummer always wears a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey and like they're very Canadian, you know, so I enjoyed that and that's that's a memorable concert just because not only because of what that band meant to me but of course because it was you know I enjoyed that with my sister and it was just my experience that was an influential experience in understanding that what live music was all about yeah because it was one of your first ones that sounds like such a warm memory and you were already a fan of the band by then yeah Dana had really I know Dana was yeah Dana I mean Dana's responsible for getting me into three bands primarily Rage Against the Machine, which I always make fun of her because I don't think she let her. I think Declan might not listen to Rage or might not be allowed to listen to Rage. And I'm like, I was way younger than him listening to that with you, by the way. <laughs> um, 
and then she got me into Ben Folds 5, who I didn't get to see until later. And then she got me into uh, Bare Naked Ladies. So those and are like 311. And th- yeah, she, <laughs> she, she loves 311. She hates 311, dude. And she has poisoned the well so badly with, she hates with her son. So much. It's so weird. Like, I'm like, it's hard to hate them. Well, I, like them or hate them. That's fine. I don't care. Like people always like on when people want to be mean to me, they're like, oh, 311 sucks. I'm like, well, I don't know why you think that would insult me. But OK, <laughs> um, but. Dana is such a music fan that I think it's become a stubbornness on her part. I don't think anyone can see 311 live or listen to their music and be like, oh, these guys have no talent. And there's no reason why anyone would like them. Incredibly influential. And also I make fun of her because she's like makes fun of rap rock. And I'm like, Dana, you are a huge Rage fan and you are a huge Chili Peppers fan. And Chili Peppers, that's you know, true. And they were both rap rock bands. They were. And Beastie Boys was a rap rock band in the 80s. Was too. Dana into the Beastie Boys? I think so. And Allie certainly wasn't. Yeah, Allie she makes fun of rap Allie rock was. too. I'm like, it's not always like I understand if you don't like Limp Biscuit or something like the end result right. of this movie because they were t- I think 311 had talked about how there's a lot of animosity towards them because they had kind of started this movement that ended up being bastardized but I'm like they never went down that road no. they, they have a great rap rock sound so I, it sucks because true. you know her sons are really into music and you know she has three boys and I was talking to the oldest Declan and you know he was just like I'm not he almost said it to me like almost like scared he's like I'm not really in you know because I bought him some records some vinyl for Christmas and we were in his room listening to some music and he's like I'm not really into 311 I'm like dude that's fine right like, I don't care right like, I just don't understand there's just this weird thing time. online you can work on him a little bit yeah but there's also this weird thing online and this just weird thing where everyone feels like they're insulting someone if they don't like something or whatever and I'm like I don't care right you, I don't really care what you like to each his own yeah it's like it's totally fine I if you come to your own conclusions, that's perfectly fine. But I will say that Dana has deeply boys in the well. with boys <laughs> Now, who opened for Bare Naked Ladies that night? Do that remember? I don't remember. And I think that it might have been. I've been to shows where there have been no openers and that might have been one of them. But I find that hard to believe. So my theory is that I either don't remember yeah. or that we got there too late to see. Oh, them. maybe. Yeah, that could be. Because there have been plenty of shows I've been to there, you know, both sides of the coin. Like uh, I am a real big or I was a really big fan of Breaking Benjamin, which is this hard rock band that I really enjoy. They sound very distinct. No one sounds like them. All their songs sound the same, but it's, it's fun. And I actually saw them in Boston in like 2000. I've seen them several times, but I saw them in Boston in 2004. I think they were opening for corn and I left like halfway through corn second. Like I really have no, you were, they, you're I'm, like, I'm just like, can't you ever been a corn guy? I think I've discussed this on the show. Maybe when we were talking about our albums, that Corn is one of the bands that I pretended that I liked for when I was in high school and middle school because everyone liked them. very much of your generation. Yeah. And there's, you know, I like follow the leader. I think that's an interesting record. I think they have some good songs, but I always pretended that I liked them more than I did because, <laughs> you know, I was afraid people were going to judge me or something like that. I, you know, I wasn't into the requisite, you know, music at the time. Yeah, you were at that age. And uh, so that was the first time I was able to play out like my distaste, not distaste of Corn, but I'm like, I just... Like Corn's bass is so low. Like it's, if you watch um, Fieldy play the bass in in Corn, it's so low. It is tuned so low that the strings are just making noise. Like I'm I'm not even kidding. And I know people know what I'm talking about. Where they're not even playing notes. Right. It's like dang, it's more of a sound. It's a very specific sound. Like where the string is barely on the bass. That's it's it. like I, I just I'm like I, it's cool once. Oh, but it's I don't, super loose. Yeah, yeah. Is like, that what it is? Yeah, I think so. I, you can hear it. You almost the bass so the bass tone in corn songs is the bass string. It's not the note. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's like, re- I I didn't know that. Now That's it's amazing. a distinct sound. That's super and cool. people love it. And there are songs where it's like you know uh, 
what is it got the life like during the there's a song they do called got the life like in the lead up to the verses where like you hear it's like ding, da, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, ding, da, and it's cool it's like a, they have a cool like tribal sound in their rock but yeah definitely very distinct so i only bring that up because they, they, i've been in situations where i go to see the opener and then i leave and i've been in many situations where i intentionally time as best i can to miss everyone that's playing except for the, the band <laughs> it makes I want sense because you're you're a veteran you want to see what you want to see i've sat you through so much garbage hear. At this point, I can only imagine that that many concerts, you know, I've because, you know, the, the interesting thing, and Ramon will talk a lot about this, I'm sure, is that we had this really distinct advantage, which I think you did in Philly, too. But being at Northeastern, specifically being at Northeastern, the same with BU, both kind of near the Prudential and near Fenway and stuff like that. We had this proximity, not just in the city, but within walking distance of like five major venues. Yeah. Right. Like. There was like the House of Blues, the Roxy, like all of these different things. Uh, the Middle there. East, like it, they were all next to each other, too. So you would go down in this strip right next to Fenway Park and there'd be lines outside of all these venues seeing these different bands. And you would just be able to go on a whim to see all this shit. And I did. I saw all sorts of things I would never see. Right. You know, just because it was ten dollars and you can go see it was close. whoever the fuck. You, oh, you want to go see plain white tees? I'm like, all right. You want to go see like, you know, whoever it is. That's you cool. Know? And so I like that open mindedness to it. So it was during that five year period I lived in Boston where I probably saw more than half of my concerts simply because of our proximity and the, the the relative cheap cost of seeing these um sure you know these different shows absolutely you know Especially when breaking you're benjamin's not declaring sixty dollar tickets at you know at right. the boston garden right so you can go it's not uh, the rolling stones right exactly right so yeah so anyway uh bnl my my second choice dagan what is your third band well i want to show i want to just ask you real quick oh, I, sure. I definitely don't want to veer into corn with a k corn with a k because i don't right. know anything about them but are they still active yeah they are they they have been a band they're very similar to 311 where i think it's the same lineup still actually no dave silvera was the original drummer and he's not the drummer anymore but i think otherwise it's the same lineup wow and they have a very 311 like following where i think they still put out albums yeah. people still go see them religiously it's just like you have to be in that kind of crowd they have they they are really weird. One of the funny things is Anthony Davis is the singer. Everyone knows what he looks like, right? He's got the dreads yeah, totally. and everything. Oh, yeah. What was so funny is that there were girls at the show. They must have been they were groupies or the girlfriends of the band, whatever. They were on the side of the stage that just looked like him. Really? Like, I'll never forget that they had the same the, hair. The they were braids. cute. But like it was like there was a, there's a very distinct look and feel to that crew, totally. to that band, to that crowd. Very much so. And I was really actually that show was funny because Three Days Grace also played that show. And I used to really love them as well. And so I got to see Three Days Grace and then Breaking Benjamin. And then I, I was like, I'm here. Right. I might as well see. I think they opened with, you know, Freak on a Leash or something like that. And I stayed for a few songs. And I'm like, I've had enough and I'm going to go. <laughs> that was it. You had your <laughs> fill. You had your fill. And that was the end of it. Well, Kyle, I'm going to go back to another hip hop show. And I don't know if I ever talked to you about this particular show. I had to really kind of dwell on where I saw this show. But I believe it was at the Troc, the Trocadero in Philly. Have you ever been to a gig there? No. Okay. I, the, the only show I've ever been to in Philly was that 311 show. That was it. Yep. I've never otherwise been to a show here. I haven't seen a lot of things at the truck. Now, my wife, Helene, grew up really especially fond of not only alter alternative music, but um, punk rock. She liked a lot of punk bands. So she was at the truck quite often before and even during when I knew her. But I saw, I believe I saw this show at the truck, which is a, you know, a very renowned and celebrated theater in philly right outside of chinatown historic it opened i had the researches i didn't know this it opened in 1870 but it became sort of known for its famous punk and alternative shows around 1986 dead milkman recorded an album there they have it has a really big punk rock 
pedigree and skate rock and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I've seen a few, you know, miscellaneous things that I wasn't necessarily that interested in there with like, a, you know, a random girlfriend or so, you know, but I saw a hip hop show there that was really memorable to me. And it was souls of mischief, Dell, the funky homo sapien and casual who are all West coast, NorCal, Northern California, hip hop that we became really into in the early to in the early to mid-ish 90s through skate videos, basically. That's where we got our exposure to this crew. And they're they're known as hieroglyphics under their there's an umbrella crew called hieroglyphics, and these groups are underneath Souls of Mischief, Dell, Casual. There's some more, but these three specific groups performed that night at the track. And it was so cool because First of all, I loved nor I loved discovering, and we I should say we, my friend PJ and I, and everybody who I grew up skateboarding with, we loved discovering this new hip hop because you had sort of two different sounds. You had very raw New York hip hop that dates back to like Run DMC, all the way through all the East, you know, the East Coast stuff that came later, EPMD, Third Base, um, you know, all the stuff, you know, DJ Red Alert. All the East Coast, that sort of an East Coast vibe to the hip hop. And then you had the classic West Coast stuff, which was Southern California. And now whether we're talking about Tupac or jo- Dr. Dre or NWA or um, what else? Snoop Dogg, right? That whole West Coast essence to to hip hop. But Did now public, public Enemy West Coast as well? No, Public Enemy is New York. Okay. Public I, I, I think I was a little unclear on that. Okay. Yeah, Public Enemy, KRS-One. That's a really New York... You know, everything in hip hop back then, late 80s, early 90s, was very divided between this was before even, you know, Dirty South became a thing, right? You had a very, you know, delineated, it was East Coast hip hop and West Coast hip hop, you know, talking about New York and LA, basically. And it were very, you know, obviously, as we all know, they sound very different. It's a very different vibe. It's a very, it's even a very different aesthetic, very different inspiration, you know, different inspiration. And, I, you know, it's inspired by really the cities, you know, the temperature. The climate, you know, it's the cultures, you know, they're inspired by two different cultures. But when Northern California hip hop started to become big with these bands, Souls of Mischief and Dell and Casual and everything, it was a whole new sound because it sounded to me, it was a whole different thing. It sounded really to us more, much more like East Coast hip hop. It didn't sound like Southern California hip hop only six hours away or so, right? Six or eight hours away. It didn't sound like Southern California hip hop and it didn't sound exactly like New York or slash East Coast hip hop. It was something new. And I think as skateboarders, we felt like we discovered it a little bit because, you know, we got really introduced to it through skateboard videos. You know, skateboard videos were a big thing at the time in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, VHS tapes. You know, the companies, especially companies like World Industries and New Deal, they promoted their skateboard, you know, their products and their pros through these videos. It was really important. It was, you know, predated social media and it predated Predated the internet, predated the internet. So this was really important to us. So I think we were really we got really excited about Souls and Dell and Casual and all the, you know, other other hip hop bands from the Northern California, you know, a lot of these bands were from either San Francisco or Oakland. A lot of these groups were from San Fran or Oakland. And we saw them at the truck and it was so cool because it was the first time I ever saw a show and maybe one of the only times I ever saw a show besides maybe seeing Wu-Tang here or there where I felt like it was a lot of my people at the show. You know, I always felt a little ostracized for punk rock, you know, because I didn't, I wasn't really into it. 
you know, although a lot of my friends were really into those bands, you know, whether it was the Dead Kennedys or Rancid or Black Flag, it wasn't really my thing, you know, but this was the first time I felt like the music was speaking for who we were, you know, and we were really into it. And there were so many skaters at the show. I mean, there were so many skaters in Philadelphia to begin with during that time. But I remember so many friends being there and just being into it. It's a, it's also a very small venue. I think the track only seats around, if I'm not mistaken, like 1,500 people or something. It's very tiny. Maybe even 1,200. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But it was an intimate show. They did they did an awesome job. And I think it was, you know, part of that was feeling right at home with that San Fran vibe to that brand of hip-hop music, which I still love. I still love Dell. You know, Dell is also part of Gorillaz. You know, he's part of Damian Albarn's thing, Damian Albarn's thing with Gorillaz. So Dell and Dell's still making music. So that was a really striking one for me because it's first of all, it's the only time I ever saw any hieroglyphics shows. I never saw those groups since. And it was a lot of fun. It was just a really fun night, a good vibe, you know, no no negative energy in the air. Cause you know how it is on a lot of these shows. You know, I wanted to talk to you about too, Kyle, like the difference between a show, I'm air quoting, mm. a show and a concert, right? Which speaks to maybe the level of the group or band and the size of the venue, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the vibe. Like I'm going to talk about a concert later that I think is, that's different. I think concerts to me are big venues, yeah. big acts. Big acts, big followings. Yeah, probably not a wild crowd, maybe a sitting crowd. Maybe there is no, you know, good standing point. room. There is no GA. You know, so I think that uh, to me, I, you know, I think that they're 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 synonyms. But at the same time, I don't think that I think most music fans and most music aficionados understand the difference in the vernacular when we say show versus when you say concert. You don't go to a Beatles show. You know, like you didn't go to a Beatles show. Beatles wasn't a show. You didn't go to a Pink Floyd show. Right. Exactly. You know, like you went to a. You don't go to a Muse show. You go to a Muse concert. They play arenas. Exactly. That's, that, it's different. Now, that's disappointing to me because I love Muse so much and I never want to see that's them. That's funny. I was just thinking about them a little earlier. They are so good, dude. No three piece in the history of the world makes more noise than those guys do. I have no idea how the fuck they make so much noise. <laughs> and not in a bad way. Just a ton, ton of texture. Yeah. Absolution is like, forget about it. One of the great albums. You never the last saw them? Years. No, because... By the time I was even aware of them, they were so big. And, and to me, it's just like I don't unless it's an we're going to talk about one of the acts where you're never going to see them in a small venue. So that's what it is. But I'm just like, I, I would have loved to see these guys play Roseland Ballroom or something like that. That you know? would be cool. Just loud as shit. I saw Dela there. You know, so I didn't know that closed. Oh, yeah. 2014. Yeah. yeah unbelievable. Because I saw a bunch of shows there um, and Hammerstein, too. But which, which are both great venues. I think Roseland's better because the ceilings are lower. The acoustics yeah. are better. Pretty tiny. 3,000 yeah. people, maybe. Yeah. And Hammerstein's more... bigger. And so and Hammerstein's closer to the train. So it was more convenient to go to shows. Yeah, I've never been there. I've never been there. But it's high and deep. You know, I saw like G Love and Special Sauce there once. And I saw 311 there a couple of times. So it was like it's a whole thing but yeah i think that the vernacular i think people understand yeah the difference at least in my it's known. opinion it's also known. if you're saying you're going to a concert it could also be like i'm going to see classical music i'm going to see an, an opera i'm going to you know i think that's also genre based you know i don't you brought up rancid who i love i love rancid Out, yeah. and outcome the wolves is one of my favorite records from the 90s and you know i don't know that anyone would ever go to a rancid concert I, that's unthinkable yeah how can you go to a rancid concert you know, 
You go to a you go to a rancid rancid show. Now, what put what started the show thing? Was it hip hop or was it punk rock? I don't know. I, I, that that I don't know. That's something that Ramon would definitely. Or maybe know. both. Yeah, I would think. My theory is that just it. I think it's even earlier than that. I think that one of the things that I've been really thinking about is post Beatles and post like space rock mid seventies music. Okay. Where you would see like. Um, Bands play like Nassau Coliseum or something like that, but they were smaller acts or whatever. But one of the things I was thinking about recently was like during the heyday of disco in like the mid to late 70s, there were small disco bands and bands that were infusing disco into their into their act. And also New Wave was coming around at the time. And so I think that it was around that time that people started playing smaller venues, like seeing Flock of Seagulls in 81 or 82 or Tears for Fears or something like that, um, you know, as a, or the Bee Gees playing, you know, you know something or someone playing CBGBs or something like that. And, you know, so I think it started at that point, but I, I don't know makes, nearly, I don't yeah, know nearly. I can't about speak it. to it, but you would imagine. I think so. Yeah. I, you know, Ramon would know a lot about that. So we can ask him when we see him next. The third group that I, or the third show that I want to bring up, if I might, please call is uh dredge. Now dredge is, uh, I knew this was coming. Dredge is my second favorite band. I think people know that they're probably the most musically talented group that I listen to. And I'm in love with them. And, you know, very exciting news that they hadn't released an album in many years. They hadn't toured since 2013 or released an album. And their last album was really horribly, re- you know, received by everybody. When was it the was last horrible, year? horrible record. Uh, 2000. Actually, it might have been 2011. 2012 it was called Mr. Squeezy and Mr. Chuckles or something like that. It was really bad. It was a really <laughs> bad record. It was produced by Dan, the automator, and it was really bad. And. I think they know that. And I, I bring that up only because they announced a few weeks ago that they're touring this year. They're releasing a new album this year and all of that. And I'm like, thank fucking God, because even if it's the last thing you guys do, you don't have to go out on that note because that was horrible. Yeah, that's not that was really to, unfortunate. That's something I don't mean answer. that to be mean. It was just really bad. I don't think anyone likes that. album. And so the, I've seen Dredge probably 10 or 12 times. I first saw them at one of those shows in Boston that I was talking to you about, you know, when Ramon and I used to just go to these shows or I used to go to these shows that, you know, uh, these different venues and uh, the show that I want to bring up here though is the last time I saw them this was in 2013 in Santa Cruz and they were doing a small you know they're from the valley from Silicon Valley so that's like where they're you know in that northern California area is where they're most well known and I'm sure that's where they're going to kick off their tour and stuff like that when they tour later this year and I had seen them in San Francisco at the Warfield and at the Independent and I've seen them you know many times saw them in Boston saw them in New York um you know, saw them actually in a strawberry music store in Boston playing an acoustic set. So no I, I, I really, yeah, they were doing like a signing. The, the funny thing about that is that's when Catch Without Arms came out. That's 2005, which is a great record. Yeah. But I am I always very partial to El Cielo, which we're going to talk about in a okay. minute, which is arguably my favorite album of all time. And everyone was getting them to sign Catch Without Arms. And I had them sign El Cielo at the signing and they were laughing about it. And I'm like, they were like, oh, you don't want us to sign the new record? And I'm like, no, I bought it. I just like this one better. <laughs> And they and they and they laughed about it, but I still have that's that, pretty that funny. album. That's so awesome. this show digging in um, 2013 in Santa Cruz was a small tour that they were doing. It was probably one of the last shows they played. And what they were doing was that they were doing subsequent t- shows where they were playing their entire albums in their entirety front to back. Now, I love that shit. You know, I've often said, you know, 311 played Transistor all the way through once and played Grassroots and Blue Album, I think, back in the 90s. But they don't do that very often. I would be all over that. I would fly anywhere in the country to see them Just play Transistor, see you know. To find out that they were Dredge was going to play El Cielo front to back, my favorite record of all time, arguably in Santa Cruz, I was there. So my ex-girlfriend was a fan of Dredge and I went with her and our friend Mark Ryan, who was the guy who hired me at IGN. 
And we drove the hour or so from San Francisco to Santa Cruz, a little bit more than that. And they played at a small venue there and they played El Cielo front to back. They they started with El Cielo and then at the end, they actually played like 10 more songs. So they played for like, you know, two hours or so. And it was music to me is very emotional. You know, it can it, and it can be a lot of different things. It can be impactful. It can give you a lot of energy. I hurt myself all the time playing air drums and head banging and stuff like I Aaron <laughs> really? makes fun of me because I can't stay still when I listen to music. Like I need like I I always found it weird going to a show and no one and people not, don't just move. standing there. I don't understand how that's even possible. So you're not a shoegaze. Like guy. I'm like, no, now shoegaze <laughs> is a great I love, genre. Oh, I love it. You know, I saw I've been to a few shoegaze shows and it's really what what is that uh, Mazzy star? I saw her oh, a few yeah. years ago. Oh, big fan. I saw a fa- I saw her a few years ago. And that's that's a different kind of show, right? You don't expect to be boisterous. And I also don't like shows. I like metal a lot and hard rock, but I don't like seeing shows where there's pits and stuff like I'm not really into that either you know I'm a little too old for that I'll stay on the periphery of that yeah but when people go to shows and stay still I think that that's absolutely weird it's odd like just I don't know how the music's not flowing through I don't know how you're not at least nodding your head I don't know why you're here um <laughs> but they played El Cielo including all of the interstitials as people know Dredge does typically concept albums and El Cielo is about um about sleep paralysis that's the, the that's the whole through line with beautiful liner notes. And, I didn't even and know all, that. Yeah. And so I love that album. You burn you you burn both those albums for me, I think. Yeah, you have Catch Without Arms and Else Yellow, which are my two favorites. Now they did another album called Pariah, which is excellent. And their earlier stuff off of an album called Late Motif is pretty good, but that's a they're a little bit harder and a little bit edgy. They don't even really play those songs. So this was a really impactful thing for me because I've seen all these songs separately. They play they play Else Yellow, they know everyone loves it. But to see them play it all the way through with the interstitials changing all the instruments, bringing everything out, having the string arrangements ready to go, having all the keys ready to go, um, the acoustic guitars, having the soundboard ready with all the sounds that they needed, the sweeping arrangement as they play and they just kind of play it. So cool. And at the end of the show, the last song on El Cielo is a song called The Canyon Behind Her. Um, A beautiful song. It begins with this Japanese woman speaking and it's got this beautiful you know, three note key, very emotional playing, song. a very emotional song. And at the end, there's this almost orchestral church chorus, you know, as they sing and, they, and it's and it sings out the song and I start crying at the show. You know, I'm like crying. Wow. Because I couldn't I like just couldn't believe how beautiful, how impactful, how special I was. I was completely overcome. Yeah, it sounded perfect. They didn't mess it up. Like when 311 played Transistor, it's funny, actually. Transistor's 22 songs with the secret track. And they actually played one of the songs out of order during the set and apologized after, like during the set. They're like, oh, actually, we forgot to play one of the songs. <laughs> like, I don't know how you make a mistake like that. That's but there was nothing like that going on. Like they, they it was perfectly it was done. And uh, I was glad to be there with people to, and not only the people I was with, but people in the crowd that this was, they were there for a reason there wasn't something that they just stumbled on to do one day they they were there to see lcl be played which is crazy. which is very rare you know to, to play a whole album in order right that's not that's not a thing and no and you know i'm so happy that they're coming back in 2019 like i said with a new record and yeah a tour cool. again. i'll be all over that I'll, I'll go see them probably as much as i can i'll probably go see them five or six that's times. cool news and i'm also you know to be perfectly frank i'm, I'm friends with and friendly with the bass player um, we went out to dinner a couple years ago. We DM back and forth. I'm, I've been pitching them and they're interested in me actually writing about them. Writing I, remember, a book about I them. remember this. And so maybe I'll be able to meet that, you know, meet them again and, and hang out with them a little bit. But be amazing, you know, it was just a, an impactful 
experience for me because I'm such a fan, especially in this era of music where it's all about singles. And I, listen, you know me. There are songs and people are always surprised by how eclectic I am, right? Like I love these Ariana Grande songs that come out and like all these yeah. things. I think they're great. I think yeah. she's awesome. You know, like I love all these different things, but the art of the album is so important. The order that the songs go in, how much time is in between? Is there a, you know, Dredge is really great where there's, they do it not on Catch Without Arms, but they do it on LCL where there's almost always sounds from the end of one song beginning in the next song. So they play together, you know? So like it just flows together. They flow. That art is somewhat dead. And it's really important, I think, to the creation of music and really detrimental and and degrades the ability to put out songs because all you want to hear is the next three minute and 20 second song. Right. You don't want to hear the arrangement, the very act of sitting down and putting these in order yeah. means something. And Absolutely. So these songs weren't written in this order. These songs weren't recorded in this order. They're, they're put in this order for a certain reason. So for them to do that in this era, I think is so cool. And my hope for this new tour is that they maybe do one or two of those shows again, because uh, I'd love to see Pariah all the way through. I think that would be really special as well. So I don't know. So I wanted to shout out them for that because they always put on a good show. It's always a small and intimate thing. They're always very friendly. I've I've seen them many times in the Bay Area where they have a lot of family and friends there and it's very supportive and it's just an emotional band. They're just so special. I, I have a special place for prog rock and space rock and I think that it's a really important genre. I think it's a very you know progressive rock. I think it's a very important genre that leaks into everything and they do it so much better than everyone else. It's you know? so they're so good. So I have to give a shout out to that particular show in Santa Cruz. You turned me on to them. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I hope you continue to enjoy it. And I hope this new record blows us away. And I, I have a feeling it's going to. I think that they they know that this new album or that most recent album was just not acceptable. Like it just I don't want to put it in that. They can obviously put anything they want out, but yeah. it's just not acceptable. Sometimes like it's just you, such a fall. It is so uh, precipitous. You know, I'm like, what do you guys think? Sometimes you just have a hiccup. Yeah, like, you got to pick it up, pick up the pieces. So I think they're going to. Yeah, that's cool. That's good news. Yeah, very cool. So that's my third show. What is your fourth show? Now, Kyle, we're only. I, I want. I want you to be able to end it with your fourth. So I'm going to talk about. Well, I have two more to talk about. Oh, you have two mentions. more, and you have the ones with d mom and dad to talk about. Yeah, so, I can. Yeah, just, I can end with those. Yeah, so end with those. Let's, okay. let's just keep going. I think if we ping pong back and forth, we'll we'll finish this nicely. Okay, so I'll just I'll talk about my fourth one, which is a really interesting one, and you know, plays into my story about growing up a little bit and how everything turned out in my life was the Vans Warp Tour, actually, of 1995. Oh, man, that's a seminal moment for that. People love the 90s Warp Tour. Oh, it's like a really nostalgic thing. And when I went back, I looked and it wasn't, I remember being in the summertime, it was in August. It was on August 17th, 95, and it was in Camden, New Jersey. Now, that whole weekend was a whole thing around the Warp Tour. It wasn't just the concert um, venue and the concert events. It was a whole skateboarding event, contests. Um, it was a big warehouse, like kind of a jam where all the skate, basically all the skateboarders, I, re I remember that weekend very well because all the skateboarders on the East Coast, like everybody came down from Boston, Philly, everybody came from New York, everybody, DC, every came up from DC. Everybody sort of convened in Camden at this giant warehouse and just had like a giant basically skate jam. You know, all, all the pros were there, all, you know, the sponsored AMs, all the shops were represent, all the big shops at the time were representing, all the filmers were there. And I was there with my friend Brian, who I both, and my friend Rick, who at the time I talked about a little bit on the podcast, but not too much. They started a skate magazine 
my friends started a skate magazine in the mid 90s in Philly and I lived at the house. The magazine was called Journal. I think it only went for six issues or something, but it was a an actual mag and it was actually carried by shops throughout the not only throughout the country but throughout the world and you know, I lived with the two editors and the art director and was able to be really front and center for that. So we went to all these, you know, we got into all these events at that time. And we were, it was, a, it was an awesome time skating and just seeing people from New York and everybody getting together from the East Coast and skating. And then that weekend was, you know, everything sort of consummated in this giant concert. And I had to look at who played. Helene and I were talking about. Now, my wife, Helene, I didn't know yet at the time. I met her a year later. This is 95. We didn't start, well, I didn't meet Helene until 96. And then we didn't date right away. We might have started dating in 97 because when I met, my wife, we were just friends for a while. She was dating somebody else, actually. So, but Helene was at this show as well, which is interesting. I didn't know her yet, and when I looked at the at the when I looked at the lineup of performers and groups and bands, it was like, oh, it was like my wife's bumper sticker from back then. Basically, it was Sublime, Sick of It All, Face to Face, The Deftones, Gutter Mouth, and No Doubt. Oh, this is pre-Tragic Kingdom, this no is, doubt. Yeah, this is right before this is that, ska, I no guess, doubt, right? Really. Yeah. See, really, like, hardcore ska, no doubt. And so... Oh, I would have killed this. And I remember, I remember being there, and I remember seeing all these bands, and it was such a memorable and nostalgic time for me because it was... At this time, I had taken a year off between... You know, I had taken a year off between, you know, being in school and then finishing college. I went back to school in 96. So this year of 95 was just happened. It just so happened for me to be like a time of extreme irresponsibility. Like we were just having fun. You know, I was never a big partier, but it was just hanging out, being with friends, dating girls, skateboarding. At that time, I believe I was managing Sub-Zero, which is the big skate shop. It was the big skate shop in the time at Philly. Philly, I, have, I still have a Sub-Zero shirt as well. You still have Sub-Zero shirt, yeah. so does Dad. I don't know where any of mine are. But, you know, I, I was I was team managing for the team a little for a little while at Sub-Zero. I'm not sure if it was during that time. So it was like kind of those heady... I was writing a little bit for the magazine. So it was just like really heady, nostalgic. Probably my last really irresponsible days because when I went back to school in 96, I was like hardcore for two years until I graduated. I was all about it. Dean's List, the whole thing, right? So this was like right before that. So this was like sort of like, you know, this was sort of like a send off to my childhood, basically. So that this show was just like a seminal moment for me. And the, and the fact that, you know, my future wife was there and we were enjoying it. We didn't know each other yet. Kind of adds that little extra bit of sparkle to it as well. That's a hell of a lineup too, man. Sublime as well. I mean, Bradley Noel only dies two years later. So I wow. mean, the fact that you even saw Sublime, I mean, there's a lot of, I never got to see Sublime. That's just not, a, you know, Sublime still plays with that guy named Rome, but it's not. I don't even know anything about Sublime. It's not the, it's not the same. Wow. I, I love Sublime. Like, I'm really partial to their self-titled record that happened, that came out right after Bradley died. Okay. Um, But obviously, 40 Ounces to Freedom, that's the era in which you saw them, and that must have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. With, that... with uh, what, what's the big song? Oh, Smoke Two Joints. Helene was a huge fan. And, uh. Date rapes on that as well, which is not a great name for a song, but still a great song. Um, Tribe also has a song called. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny you say that specifically about Helene being at the show, but you not knowing her yet. Yeah. This next show okay. is one of those kinds of shows for me. The this 311 show I wanted to bring up the second 311 show I wanted to bring up was the second time I ever saw them. I was in 11th grade. The funny thing about there's a lot of funny things about this show. All right. So the first thing is, is that I'm online. I'm on the Internet. 
I see that they're playing Roseland Ballroom. Now, we were just talking about Roseland Ballroom. Roseland Ballroom it was a notorious, awesome venue, amazing venue in New York City. Goes way back. Actually, our great grandfather worked there for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, he emceed there. And when it was, it was a much more Roseland became a venue that it welcomed everyone. But back in the day, it was a very classy place to play. And 311 was playing with Zebrahead, which was a band that I absolutely fucking fell in love with because of this show. Okay. Now, I don't I haven't listened to Zebrahead. I don't have any Zebrahead records since 2003 or 2004. They have a new singer. Told, they're still around, but not, I'm not a big fan. But this was a show that turned me on to them. And I really loved them. They were a rap rock band from California and like a really funny, dorky rap rock band. But there's multiple interesting things about the show. The first thing is that I remember distinctly begging dad to buy the tickets and dad calling Ticketmaster with a, with a lot of gruff and buying four tickets for me. And so I can go with my friends. I had no plan on how to get there. I had no idea where I was supposed to go. Wow. And it all just fell together because I was going with my friend Bryce, who comes up on the show every once in a while. And Bryce had a friend named Amanda who came from some money or whatever. And she was coming to the show as well. So just on the spur of the moment, her mom was like, how are you guys getting to the show? And we're like, we don't really know. Maybe we'll just go to Ron Conkerman and take the train and figure it out. And she was like, no, I'll get you a limo. No way. So she hires a limousine, a legitimate limousine. What? And this limo drives us into New York City, drops us right in front of Roseland Ballroom. We walk in. Zebrahead opens. This is the first time I'm hearing this band. I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. These guys are amazing. <laughs> I love them. And... Then 311 comes on and they play this amazing show as well. And the thing I the funny thing about this show, and I wrote this down, is that Ramon was at this show, too, who oh. I didn't who I didn't know until three years later. Oh, wow. But this show had an amazing vibe where it was just positive and bouncy. And I just remember it so well. It was just such a great show. And I was bouncing around and moving around. And this guy comes up to me, this kid that's my age. Now, I can only vaguely see him, right? But he gives me a high five as he's walking by. And I told Ramon that story. And Ramon's like, I think that might have been me. No way. What? And so we have this mysterious thing where we're like, we might have actually like met at this 311 show just for a brief second. You just had this moment. Yeah, this moment where someone's like giving you a high five. Because, you know, people are passing joints around and people are, yeah. you know, it's, it's very friendly, very, you know, it's very nice. It was a very pop. I remember the vibe being so good at the There's show. There's that camaraderie. You're all right. fans of the band. Right. They're playing great songs. They're playing new songs. Zebrahead was killing it, too. So there was a lot of good vibes there. And and so this guy, I remember this guy coming up to me and giving me a pound as he's bouncing, bouncing around and I'm bouncing around and Ramon thinks that that was him. <laughs> it's so good. That would be that's it's got to be him. How could it be anybody else? So that's like the that's the story of of that show is real. So this limo comes and drops us off. Then we get back into the limo and go home. He drops us off all of our houses. I remember him pulling over on the LIE because I had a pee. Oh, so my I peed God. on the side of the road. Did you really? And I wasn't drunk or anything. I was like, you know, I, I had just started. It was like the beginning of 11th grade. OK, it was like the fall of 2000. And wow. I had seen 311 for the first time that June earlier at Jones Beach on Long Island. Allie brought me with her boyfriend at the time, this guy named DJ. And Allie had no interest in the show and went into the, was getting drunk in the parking lot with people. That's what I remember. Is that like, Allie, serious? Yeah, Allie like had no, it was me and Bryce and her boyfriend and Allie. And I was like, all right, you're in bye. And then like went and got drunk in the parking lot. or something. <laughs> and that show was memorable because grasshopper takeover, which is an Omaha, Nebraska band was like playing like almost on the concourse before, like when everyone was walking, which is super cool. Great band. If you guys want to check out a great grasshopper takeover band uh, song, look up the song Esta Vida. Really, really great. Yeah, song. never heard of them. They're just a very small band. I think that they were just friends with 311 and the Omaha scene. But uh, Two Skinny Jays opened for 311 at that show and Incubus, two bands that I still, wow. you know, that I really love to this day. And it's so funny that Incubus was opening for 311. Um, 
as opposed to yeah, you know, like it just became way out. bigger than 311. Yeah. That was during the make yourself era. So that was just a few months after I had I had been so high off of that 311 show. I'm like, I got to see him again. I got to see him again. And Jones Beach is a cool venue, but the Roseland show, tight, acoustic, yeah. beautiful, only 2000 people, maybe Indoor. not even. And yeah, loved it. So that that was the other out of all the other. There's so many funny 311 stories like and 311 shows that I've been to. I've been to most of them or more than half of them, probably with Ramon. And there's a lot of really, you know, us flying to New Orleans to see them and flying to Memphis to yeah, see them. Yeah, you've seen and, them all over the country. You know, yeah, I've seen them in California several times. And so there's a bunch of really funny stories. Like one of them, when we saw them at Jones Beach one year, you know, we had we brought a tent with us or someone brought a tent. We like boxed the tent out and like you could barely see the person next to you in the <laughs> tent, you know, and there's another story where our friend Kevin went with us, who's a buddy of ours, who was our old roommate and he was bombed and he was all dancing in the, you know, like in this at Jones Beach on the stairs and like <laughs> being all fucking weird. I like Jones Beach. It's a nice so, venue. Yeah, it is. It's a super cool venue. So, right, you know, right, right in Nassau County, right on the water. And so, yeah, it was just this. It was so memorable. And it's just it's so funny how it came together. We really had no plan. How are we going to pay for these tickets? How are we going to get there? How we didn't care. We were just so obsessed with sound system and with transistor and all these things. We, we needed to go. And you didn't need to get there. Thank Christ, dude, because what a show, you that's know, like so cool. what a memorable show and that, what a great set list. That's too. super cool. Yeah. So that's my fourth show. I love the fate element. Yeah, who knows if that was really Ramon or not, but I think it was. It's, it, yeah, I'm sticking with it. Definitely was. Because when I told to him be. that story, is we were we were wondering. I wonder if that was, you know, that was year. That was that was uh, three years almost to the date from when we met. You know? Wow, you, you didn't meet for another three years, and we met because of 311. Because I was wearing a 311 shirt at That's right. orientation. Or That's right. You, yeah. were t- you were talking about. I think that. I was wearing like a grassroots shirt or something, and he came up to me, or vice versa. He might have been wearing one or something like that. You know, at the orientation of our, we both lived in White Hall at Northeastern well, our freshman year, in case anyone goes there or went there. That's on the corner of Forsyth and Huntington. And we were out there and we, that's how we met. That's you know? so, so, such a cool story. Yeah. You guys totally met through through a band. Yeah. Our, our shared love of this band. Now, Ramon, will, and he, I'm sure he's listening to this. He'll, he'll know he's softened, softened so much on 311. Like, he's so snooty about it now. But... Uh, I am, and not in a bad way. I mean, Ramon's a, Ramon's a musician's musician. is very talented. He knows what good music is. He is very talented. But, you know, I still love those memories and love the the camaraderie that we we built because of them. And that's really important to me. Like, that that's why, that's why the band is so important to me, I think, is because of the friends that I made over time and the people that introduced to good music because of it and all that. I think that that's, like, the most relevant yeah. thing. The music's great, obviously, but, like, 311 Day last year, you know, they play every other year on even years. They play a big show where they do 70 or 80 songs. And we came, you know, Ramon came over that day. And our friend Jay, who lives in L.A., who we met at 311 Day in 2004, who became a good friend of ours because of that, so. also lives in L.A., came over and we just smoked and ate and watched 311 Day stream that they were selling. You know, and it was just a nice way to we're not none of us are really listening to them anymore that much. But it was like that's like our bond. Yeah. You know? And it's nostalgic. Yeah. Which speaks to the show. And so 311 Day is always at a different spot. It's tip. They only play in a few. Like, I think the Memphis one I went to in 06, I think they only played there once. They play in New Orleans mostly. Oh, okay. Um, But they've played in other places. Like, I think the first one, the first one was in like something somewhere random, like LA or something like that. But they, and then on odd years, they do a cruise, you know, because okay, that's, that's a big, that's a big thing now that bands are doing. Like, a lot of bands do these cruises. Yeah, Kiss is doing that. Yeah, now, that's right? too much for me. Like, I, I, I don't need that. But, mm. That's a little much. That's because it's you're contained. I 
I don't need no offense to other 311 fans, but I don't need to be around you that much. Right. For days and days. That's like, a little much. That's too much. Even 311 day being split into two days now, which it is like where they they're just getting older. They would rather play 35 or 40 songs than 35 or 40 songs the next day. As right. As doing it all at once. Yeah. Even that's a little much for me. I liked the whole thing of like, just play, play, keep going, keep going. It's Get awesome. it over in one night. Yeah type of thing yeah because that's what makes it special yeah oh, i totally understand that. on these cruises i think they play like five shows or something like that which that's is cool amazing over a, ma- a matter of days yeah like i think one a night or something like that wow you know as they go to kazumel or wherever the fuck they're going so <laughs> right i'm not interested in doing that but these 311 day shows hopefully i'll be able to i actually they actually the last one was actually in vegas at mgm in 2000 sounds fun well 2018 okay and Unfortunately, I tried to actually go. I tried to get tickets, but uh, I had it in my cart and there was an error and I had to go back and then it was sold out. No way. I was so sad because I was like, I really want to go to this. Small venue, like 5,000 Yeah, it was like, it was like 4,000 people. Yeah. Like they weigh, I don't know why they thought that that was a good idea. That I, I that was like a really bad idea. Yeah. People were so mad, dude. Like it's too on, small. Yeah. People online were really mad. Like they were like, this is fucking nonsense. Like I was here at, at day one, ready to go. And now these tickets are on, you know, StubHub for three times more, you know, wow. like 10 minutes later. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Just people flipping them? Yeah. And just, you know, there's a lot of bots and stuff like that just are able to buy these tickets. Yeah. So it was just disappointing. It's like, what are you guys thinking? Yeah. That's so hopefully they rectify that because I'd like to go, you know, at least see them one more time in that that auspicious occasion of 311 day, you know. Absolutely. You're a super fan. Yeah. So that's my fourth show. Now, you have gone through your shows, but now you have stories, right, that you want to share one with. Yeah, I'd rather talk about, uh, you know, little anecdotes. You know, dad has a specific concert that he just told me about actually a week or so ago. And one of mom's also famous concert stories which you already know will shit with you know will share with the audience so dad's concerts Kyle I got to talk to dad about all the shows and concerts dad's you know we've talked about our dad before and he's he's a he's a great music fan and he turned me on to quite a few you know growing up he he was the one responsible for a lot of my musical tastes and just introducing me to a lot of music and a lot of groups and a lot of bands and it was funny talking to him one night recently a week or so ago at his at his home on Long Island and we were talking about all the shows he saw and I was telling Colin earlier there's not many things on the list that he didn't see the only band he didn't see which will play into my mom's story is the Beatles he never saw the Beatles but he's seen everybody he saw Led Zeppelin in 71 he saw Jimi Hendrix at the Fillmore I mean huge things that I never even that he never even told me about he saw the Eagles Santana you know you know Modern age, you know, more contemporary Santana and back then. Uh, Neil Young, Crosby, Stills and Nash, The Stones, The Bee Gees, Jefferson Airplane, Genesis, and all the solo iterations of the Genesis band. Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan. It goes on and on and on. He's seen everybody. Right, right. I saw CSNY with him. Oh, you did? Yeah, at Madison Square Garden. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is interesting. That was like a, one of the few shows we've gone to together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was, didn't know you saw that with him. Yeah. That's pretty neat. It might have been CSN. I think it was CSNY. There was two bands that I knew that my dad was really fond of. That Three, actually, that he never saw. He never saw Pink Floyd, as far as I know. Yeah, which is unfortunate. He never saw Steve Miller Band, and he never saw The Beatles. But everybody, I mean, you know what? He didn't see Black Sabbath. I think he said he, he had tickets to a show or something. He didn't make it. So he never saw Sabbath. He was into 70s era Sabbath. Yeah, like the early metal stuff. The early yeah. or early metal stuff. So, but this story that he told me, which I had never heard about, he thinks it was around 85 or 86. And oh, so this is a later dad story. Yeah. And that, you know what's funny? I didn't get the date until like halfway through the story. So I had a whole different context. For me, and I was like, wait, this was like 
when I was old enough to to you know be you know cognizant of what you're like 14 years old (laughs) so basically the story goes the stones were playing a huge show at shea stadium and now shea stadium will play into both of these stories oddly enough but so the stones are getting ready fixing to play this show at shea stadium so my dad now dad i have to i have to shout out to dad i believe now the statute of limitations has expired Expired. on this (laughs) i hope i hope dad because i'm blowing you up right now (laughs) But um, so, you know, I have to put that out there. So he and his buddies at work now, you know, as many of you guys know, our dad is a New York City firefighter. He was in down in Brooklyn in East New York in Brownsville. But this show is going to be played across the city in Queens at Shea Stadium. And for people that don't know, Shea Stadium is where the Mets used to play. That's where the Mets. Yeah, exactly. Before what's that city field right? city field. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's a big venue, like almost almost fifty six thousand, fifty seven thousand people, and the Stones are going to do a big sta- a big show there. So, I guess my dad was working, and so you know, a bunch of him, him and a bunch of friends, guys on the job, thought it would be a great idea to go over and check the concert out, <laughs> but they didn't want to pay. So now they drove drive across the city to get to Queens. They get to Shea, and like my it's my dad's idea apparently and he's like all right here's what we do so they went in as like fire safety now they went in in their dress uniforms but they had the intelligence to take their bars off and to take their house number off so they took all their brass off so you saw that they were firefighters in their dress gear but you didn't see what house they were from or where they were from so they go in and they just act all official and the cops you know they're like yeah we're here to do fire safety whatever and the cops just let them in then they're in, right? <laughs> and then they're like, all right, shit. So dad says, you know, they're trying to keep it cool. They're trying, you know, they, they're they're in. Now they can't believe they're in. They're like, holy shit, this actually worked. So they're just kind of walking the right away, going up and down the rows and just looking, you know, pretending that they're looking around, but they're really just trying to watch the concert. And they made, you know, they made a concession to say like, all right, like just don't, you know, just act cool. Don't blow your cover type of thing. But the more they walk around, the more they see a lot of, you know, familiar faces. A lot of guys (laughs) from around the city had the same idea. So there's like there's like literally like four times the amount of firefighters there that should have been there. So it looks awfully suspicious. They're like, oh, there's what's his name? So they're all doing that. They all had the exact same idea. Right. And I think guys back at dad's house heard what they did. So now more like the next wave are coming. Right. (laughs) So they, they're doing their thing. And dad says, sure enough, he looks up. There's a deputy chief waving dad over, sees the whole thing, recognizes dad and is calling him over, like, you know, signaling him for it to come over. And dad's like, oh shit. You know, like I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get a disciplinary action on this or whatever. I'm going to get chastised. So the guy calls him over. He's like, look, I understand. You, you guys shouldn't be doing this. Here's the deal. You, you know, you have to leave at a certain time and no backstage. And they're like, all right, cool. You know, that sounds good, chief. Thank you. Blah, 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 blah. So lo and behold, I think everybody, every single guy went backstage except for like <laughs> dad and one other guy. And sure enough, they were busted and they were broken down the headquarters and they got like reprimanded. Wow. And dad got called down with them, but he, did, I don't think he got rep- reprimanded because he didn't, he didn't go, go backstage. backstage. But I thought that was the funniest. It's so, first of all, it's so dad. That's awesome, dude. It's so dad. 
That's you know? so mischievous. Like, <laughs> it's like he plays it so cool, doesn't he? I think he was a different person back then. I really do. Yeah, something like I didn't get to enjoy that dad too much before I knew that he was a crazy person. I mean, I love the dad we have now. He's an amazing oh, he's man. amazing. Uh, he's much more when Miyagi-ish. You, yeah, he is. Now. But I never got to experience the, the wild and crazy dad. Like the stories that mom tells me about dad, like some of them I won't even tell on this on the show yeah, are yeah. so insane. He's a little off color. Pop. Like not he's not hurting anyone. No, or no, doing no. It, but like uh, she told tells a story about how they went to buy like weed in, the, in New York City one day. It was like her and my dad and my dad's best friend, Frank, and his wife at the time as well. And uh, Janet. Yeah. And we used to call them Uncle Frank and Aunt Janet. Yeah. They, they were, were like very close, close friends. They're best friends. Yeah. And how like dad would go, they'd go into a city and Frank and dad would like get out of the car and be like, all right, if we don't come back in two hours, just leave. Like <laughs> shit like that. You know, like. <laughs> like but serious. And dad, yeah, like dad was telling me stories. I think he was telling you too, though, like, the stories about like how, when he used to deliver like appliances yeah. or whatever. And, and yeah. the guys like would be so tired of carrying these things up that they would like kick the side of the just the fridge him. and then be like oh it's damaged we can't deliver we it, and then it just, yeah and then just bring it back and shit like this <laughs> <laughs> yeah just always up to hijinks you know what was so funny about that erica i know you were a little younger like he was such a strict guy and a stayed kind of straight face he had that poker face he never would sh- he would do these things but he never shared that side of himself with his kids because i don't think he wanted to influence us that way but I would have loved hearing these stories. I mean, I love hearing them now, but right. I would have loved hearing them as a 13-year-old because it would have presented a different side of dad than we knew. He was a very serious guy. Right. You know, so, and much different than he is now. But I, I just thought that story was so priceless. I yeah, that's why so I cool. never knew that story. You know, mom tells the story about when they saw Santana. She, she, I think it was when mom was working on Wall Street in the early 70s. And like her friends, like the more buttoned up people were going. Dad like came and met them. I think dad was ironworking at the time in yes, the city. He might have right. been working on the Twin Towers at the time, actually. And they like dad hated the band that was opening. And it was a very granola kind of thing, like where they were selling all, you know, yogurts and stuff. And my dad apparently chucked his yogurt at the stage, <laughs> but like totally like it was like 20 rows short. Just threw it into so the crowd. Someone, I, what I think about all the time is that someone has a story from that show about how someone nailed them with a yogurt. <laughs> Like someone else has a story about That's that show. A bit. Is that so funny? Yeah, okay. just like totally just bonkers, out of his mind, which so, I love. Yeah, me too. It's awesome. It really does shine a, a good light on Dad. I think because he's a he's a he's a multi dimensional man. <laughs> <laughs> My final uh, show that I want. Oh wait, co- I have to oh. tell moms. Oh, you know what? You want yeah, me to yeah, I'll, I'll go on and then you will bounce back to you. Are yeah. you sure you don't want to end it? No. That's okay. Fine. All right. Let's hear. It's, let's hear it. It feels friend. perfectly fitting to end with mom. All right. <laughs> She'll appreciate that. My last show that I want to call out, I have some honorable mentions too that we can talk about, but uh, Billy Joel. Um, uh, I, f- I finally got to see Billy Joel at AT&T Park, which is where the San Francisco Giants play in 2015. And I went with uh, Eric Castro, who's a friend, a good friend of mine. He owns all those bars. We, he comes up on the show every once in a while, his wife and my ex-girlfriend. And it was a beautiful night. And, you know, I was talking earlier in the show, Dagan, about how there's just certain acts you're not going to see in certain situations. Billy Joel's not going to come out. Billy Joel doesn't get out of bed. If he's not making a half a million dollars on a show, it's got to be half a mil. You know what I mean? Like, it's not happening. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't care. Right. He can go play Nassau Coliseum or Madison Square Garden whenever he wants and fill those places in. In fact, I think he played Madison. Didn't he play Madison Square Garden for like a month? Did he? Like a few years ago and like sold out every show. It was like something insane. That's insanity. So I finally, you know, Billy Joel, for people that don't know, is a hero on Long Island. I mean, he is he is our most famous export. If you go to Nassau Coliseum where the Islanders play, there's literally a banner that just says Billy Joel for no fucking reason. Just, just It's all of their Stanley Cup it. banners, their retired numbers, and then a banner just says Billy Joel. Yeah. 
right? Because yeah. he played oh, yeah. there, you know, a few times or something like that. He's the pride of Long Island. Wait he is. He is the Wait real pride. He is the real pride of Long Island. <laughs> Billy Joel gets Dewees out east and all sorts of shit. No one cares what's going <laughs> on out like there. It's Billy Joel. It's Billy Joel. Billy Joel does whatever he wants. All right. So I finally get to see him and it was just such a special show. It was a little bit weird. There was a little bit of a dissonance because it's a San Francisco crowd. I really always wanted to see him at Nassau Coliseum. That like, would have been cool. That's really the venue. You know, as far as I understand, Nassau Coliseum reopened. The Islanders are playing there again, but they renovated it. And as far as I understand, Billy Joel was one of the first major concerts at Nassau Coliseum and he was the last person to ever play in Nassau Coliseum. So it was like because so cool. that's an important venue for Long Islanders that, you know, even though the Mets, the Nets and the Jets are Long Island's teams, the Jets and then, you know, the Nets used to play at Nassau Coliseum until the late 70s. Right. Uh, the Jets played at Shea Stadium until 1982. And the Mets obviously play in Queens still. They're Long Island's teams, but Long Island has really only one team that plays in one of the two Long Island counties, and that's Na the Islanders in Nassau, Col uh, Nassau Coliseum. So that's a special venue to us. So I really, really would have preferred to see him there. But given that this was the only opportunity I had, I went and I had a great time. And you know, he, he Billy Joel has a lot of deep cuts that are really great, but really Billy Joel's singles, all 25 of them or whatever, are really the cream of the crop songs, and he played them all. And it was just, wow. Anthony's song is my favorite Billy Joel song. and That's you know, your favorite one? Mm -hmm. My second favorite is Pressure. Which I really love. I really that's a really different kind of Billy Joel song, song. Very ominous song. Great, you know, synth keys and all of that. But he played, you know, Down Easter Alexa and, you know, uh, or Always a Woman and to me. And uh, we didn't start the fire. Really a whole gamut of stuff from the early 70s, really to the early 90s. I think the latest song he played was um, the one from The Lion King that came out in like 93 or 94. Right? Oh, OK. And he doesn't even write music anymore. I mean, he doesn't he hasn't no. released an album in 25 years. He wrapped it up. Yeah, he just plays his. I mean, I would do the same thing. It's like fuck it. I'm not gonna. I'm never gonna write a better song than. Uh, yeah, how do you top his catalog? Yeah, you like. Am catalog. I ever gonna write a better song than any of these? Probably not. <laughs> am I gonna write a better song than New York State of Mind? Probably not. Probably not. You know, so that's just the show I wanted to end with to really just throw out there because it was a really seminal moment for me as a musician, a seminal moment for me as a Long Islander, and a seminal moment for me, uh, I think, as someone who has actually really loved Billy Joel for most of my life. When I took drum lessons when I was a kid, my drum teacher was obsessed with Billy Joel. He was obsessed with him. And he always had me play Billy Joel songs. I can play every Billy Joel song on the drums. Really? They're not that hard. Right. You know? They're more basic. Yeah. Liberty was the guy's name that played drums with him for a long time. And yeah, they're basic songs. Like there's some great beats, backbeats and stuff. But I learned how to play drums by playing Billy Joel songs. And that's special to me, too. So I wanted to throw that shot there. And I just wanted to do a few honorable mentions if I might. Sure, of course. Uh, I saw Faith No More. In 2012, I think it was, at uh, a venue, a very famous venue in San Francisco called the Warfield. This was the first time they had, they're from the Bay Area as far as I remember, and I think so. And they hadn't played in a really long time. They were playing like some big shows, like big international shows. But this was one of their first shows that they had played in like almost two decades, I think. Wow. Now, it's not the original lineup. Uh, Martin, the uh, guitar player, the, the crazy with the crazy hair, left the band because he didn't like the direction they were going in. So they had so the oh so, really yeah. So the guitars because if you listen to a lot of Faith No More, it's no guitar really or very little guitar. You know, if you think about Epic, you remember the video for Epic? Oh, you, of course, it's iconic. So, so the bassist is playing. It's like ding 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 ding. And if you watch, he's just sitting there with his hand on his like on his like hip. It's actually a cool stance because he's just holding his guitar. There's no guitar in the verses. You know. <laughs> Like, if you think about it, there's no guitar in the verses. That's so that's the kind of thing. So I think he wanted to leave for that. But the guitarist from Mr. Bungle played with them. and They were really great. Oh, that's cool. And one of the memorable things is that this guy was smoking joints next to me and he kept passing it to me. It was a really cool show. And they opened with um, the first song 
from their seminal 1989 record and it was from out of nowhere and they went right into uh, from that into playing a bunch of stuff from angel dust and it was just an amazing show so i wanted to give a shout out to that I saw Stone Temple Pilots in 2008 in Berkeley. Now, a lot of people know that Stone Temple Pilots is an immensely important band to me. This was a band that I really liked when I was young, but that I really got into in college. The okay. albums Core and Purple from 92 and 94 are really important records. And when we do our our show about our college and our older records, they're going to play prominently into this. Now, Scott Weiland died, and I was really happy that I at least got to see them once because they're really a special band to me. Berkeley's Greek theater sucks as a venue, though, because there's noise ordinances there. So you can like basically talk to each other during oh, the show, wow. which is unacceptable to me. Just totally the same experience I had seeing other bands. I saw the roots there and some other people. OK, it's the same situation where it's just not loud enough. That's really crazy. But that, that was my only choice. Like... And I knew I needed to see them. Right. You had to see him somehow. And so and that was, I think, one of the last tours that he played with them, because eventually Chester Bennington took his spot in the band and with the Lincoln Park singer who yeah. unfortunately also passed away. That's so cr- that's so crazy, dude. Did Dana turn you on to Stone Temple Pilots? Maybe. I really feel like it I was I she... feel like it was contemporary to radio for me. Like I think that you heard songs like Cracker Man or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever song it was and they I just loved them. You know, a lot of people don't like Stone Temple Pilots. A lot of them think they're really derivative. I'm like, I think you know, because people really love Pearl Jam from that era and other, which I think is great, too. I think Stone Temple Pilots shits on a lot of these bands, personally. Right. But I saw Journey in 2008. I talked about that a little bit earlier, <laughs> so but cool. that was an amazing show. What was even more amazing is that Heart and Cheap Trick opened that show. So, Oh, wow. It, I would love to see Heart, dude. Dude, they were awesome. And wow. I got to say, dude, you know, the guitarist in Heart, I, I I can't remember her name. As of this was 11 years ago now, so sexy still. I mean, Nancy? You, I, is it Nancy? Nancy. Yeah. She's no, mad. Nancy's the singer. She's the singer. Okay. Which was also, married to Cameron Crowe. I don't I don't know. OK, but or I was what? I was like, there's something so sexy about this woman, like just thrashing on the guitar and like, oh, they're oh so good. Some of my favorite music. Yeah, they're great. You know, everything from Barracuda, obviously, to Alone oh, and everything, dude, you know, so like good. really, really great stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's basically all the shout outs that I want to give. I mean, I've seen a lot of shows, but those are a few of the other ones that I think were really, really special, like that I thought would be that Billy Joel up. concert. Who who opened for him? No one opens for Billy Joel as far as he's that. That's it. Yeah. Now, Billy Joel and Elton John used to play, and they used to do that thing where one would go first and one would go second, then the next night one would go first oh, and one I would never go second. Knew that. Oh, mom, saw, okay. mom saw Billy Joel and Elton John at Boston Garden. Um, I've seen them separately. They have stage together at any point? I think they do play, like, one one's transitioning to the other, and I think that they do play, like, a song. They might play Piano Man or something. It's pretty cool. And um, But I saw Elton John at Caesars Palace in a venue in Vegas, in a venue no more than 700 people probably. Yeah, that was not too long ago, right? Wow, was it that? Was it that I mean, it's a small venue. Intimate of a venue? Holy yeah, it's one of those, maybe a thousand, maybe. maybe. I don't Holy know. Holy cow, dude. Um, And, you know, Elton John announced his retirement. This is his last year, so yeah. it was cool. And Aaron loves Elton John. Loves I mean, Elton John. Talk like, about, inf- like, important. Now, who, for you? Yeah. Elton John or Billy Joel? Oh, Billy Joel, definitely. But I like Elton. Like, Elton John is talented. See, the thing, be, the thing to me about Elton John that kind of separates him from Billy Joel, Billy Joel wrote his own music and played his own music. Elton John wrote the music but never wrote any of the lyrics. Right? Oh, I didn't know he that. Had a, he has a songwriting partner that wrote all of the lyrics. Oh, I see. I don't, I don't he talks I very prominently about him. It's not like something that's hidden. He was, yeah. When I saw him, he was talking a great deal about him. I can't remember the gentleman's name. I think he might have passed away. He writes the music. But he writes, well, he writes the lyrics. Yeah, right? okay. Ellen John will come up with a medley or, you know, a melody yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. And then they'll, he, he doesn't write the lyrics. Oh, so that's interesting. I Billy Joel wrote that. the music and wrote the lyrics. So I just think from that musicianship so cool. standpoint, you have to give it to Billy Joel because Billy Joel's telling stories 
about himself. Uh, Elton John is not. I mean, Elton John's not telling stories. Clearly, Elton John's a gay man. He's in some of these songs. He's talking about being with women and all those kinds Having of things. So wife, like, or the- yeah, yeah. So it's which is fine. He's telling his own stories, and that's great. But you know, it's not. It, it does differentiate, separate it a little bit. For they're me. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're both. Sure. I mean, gods, iconic. I mean, you know, rock gods. I mean, I was so happy to be able to see Elton John. You that's know, like so cool. I mean, that's got to be yeah, unbelievable. What, what song were they playing? Where I was like. uh Fuck, what song? I can't remember the song. The one where it's like, doom, doom. Yeah. Doom. That's Benny and the doom. Jets. Yeah, Benny and the Jets. That's what it yeah. is. But they play, it was so cool. I, I got goosebumps because they were playing it slow. So it was like, it was like, doom, doom, doom. And then it would like speed up. You know, like, like, yeah. And then like they would sp- slowly speed up and they're like, ding, ding, ding. And then we like get to the, and we get like to the right speed. I was like, oh, this is a goosebump word. It doesn't get much better than no. that song. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, it's Benny and the Jets, of course. That's super um, cool. So what do you you want to finish with mom's famous story about the Beatles? So mom's famous Beatles story slash not Beatles story. So Kyle, as you know, and we'll tell the audience now, mom had tickets to see the Beatles at Shea Stadium, that iconic, famous concert performance on August 15th, 1965. Mom had tickets. She was 15 years old. She would be 16 the following month turning 16 the following month, I believe. She was 15, had tickets, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mom, you could correct us, that her great-grandparents, her grandparents, our great-grandparents bought for her, our gramps, who was the guy who was the MC at Roseland, right? right? Same same people. They bought her tickets for her birthday to see the Beatles at Shea. And this and is when Shea, by the way, was brand new. Brand new Shea venue. Stadium was brand new. The Beatles were kicking off their second U.S. tour there. I had to research a lot of the facts, which, you know, I wanted to know everything about this. So sweet 16 present for mom, right? Beatles playing Shay. They're just kicking off a U.S. tour, which is actually a a package tour. It wasn't just the Beatles. They they were touring with a bunch of a bunch of bands. Brenda Holloway, um, Cannibal and the Headhunters, I think. What a Um, name. I love that name. King Curtis Band. Sounds Incorporated. The Beatles were just part of like this package. You know, I think they were all touring together. And, you know, of course, we all know now this iconic concert. You see the imagery, right? The girls screaming, knocking down the gate, you know, going, you know, all the 16 year old girls going like screaming their heads off, going crazy, just mobs of like screaming teenagers. And what happened was, I believe that mom got grounded. One of the only times she ever got grounded as a kid, she just it was something simple, like she came home late. And grandma and grandpa were pissed. Like, I don't think it was even that late, if I'm not mistaken, like a half hour, 20 minutes late or something. And they stuck, and it was like a week prior to the concert. And I think mom, if I'm not mistaken, mom was sort of hoping that they would, you know, it would sort of die down and their 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 anger would sort of dissipate and she would be able to attend the concert a week later. But sure enough, that day came and they were like, you're not going, you're grounded. And it was like turned into like this big heartbreaking moment. And they didn't. They stuck to her their guns. She didn't go to the concert. <laughs> so mom missed like maybe the most iconic rock concert ever because she was grounded. And you had brought up the point too, Dave, when we were talking about it that and mom brings this up too. And it's true. Mom was a good girl. Like mom. She was a good kid. Yeah. Like she wasn't a troublemaker. She had a great relationship with her parents. So it really was like a thing, like a punishment, like you don't do it ever again. Kind yeah, of situation. they and, really uh, stuck, which is crazy, right? Because you think she would have a little leeway being so 
So now, good. now I appreciate the story and I think it's great, but and I appreciate mom's goodness of not going. But if I were in her position, I'd be like, I'm you would have found I'm, a way I'm, to I'm go. Not, I'm going like, like, we'll deal with this later. You know, Can you imagine grandma and grandpa's rage if they were so mad over being like a little late because because you, you, you of course, she wouldn't. There's certain things you don't that are unknowable in 65. You didn't know that the Beatles were going to get so sophisticated that they would never play their songs live ever, anymore. This is one of their only tours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she in her mind, she's probably like, I'll see them next time they come. Right. But by the time they got to no Sgt. Deal. Pepper's, the Magical Mystery Tour and all these, they weren't touring anymore. So the opportunities were done. Oh, they were she over. missed her opportunity. And then obviously people don't remember, you know, Harrison obviously is, you know, assassinated. Um, but there was always this hope that they were going to get back together in the 70s. So there was always this desire. You know, I think, you know, that's when Wings was playing and all these. Right. And, and yeah. they, there was hopes that they were all going to come back together. And then obviously that wasn't going to be possible. Right. Um, once George Harrison died. So. For me, I, I look at it. And I you mean John Lennon? I, I'm, John Lennon. I'm sorry, John Lennon. Like, John I'm, Lennon was. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. John Lennon. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. And so I look at it from that point of view, where I'm like, maybe Mom was just playing it, being like, you know, this is an unfortunate situation, but surely there'll be another opportunity. Be another and even chance. from that perspective of 1965, I would have assumed that as well. No one knew that they were going to become an incredibly psychedelic no. studio band. No. When they made their best music, by the way, I seeing them in 65 would have been fun, but I don't even really care about any of those Beatles songs. It's you know? the later. The, dude, the last five albums are where it is. The where later it's at. stuff. The last six albums, maybe you want to call it. Oh, absolutely. Ab so, I agree. So, I mean, that's Ooh. when it gets wild. Oh, my God. But they so weren't cool. able to play that stuff, you know, live. It wouldn't have been possible. So, you know, that's when she's leaving home and all these. Oh, my God. Oh, just amazing so orchestral like, moments. and oof, So, so wonderful. But if she knew what she knows now. Yeah. Then I, my hope is that she would have been like, we'll deal with this later. I wonder. That's a really that we got to ask mom that. Would she have taken the shot? Now, the Beatles only played a little anecdote about the show. The Beatles only played 12 songs. I believe they played for about 30 minutes. Not long. Their songs are so short from those albums. Ticket prices. I think the most expensive ticket that you could have bought for that show was five seventy five. Five dollars and seventy five cents. And you could have got a ticket for like four fifty. Yeah, not five hundred and seventy five dollars. No. Can you can you imagine? And the Beatles made a note, you know, I was telling Colin earlier, the Beatles made a cut of the profits to the tune of they basically made $100 for every second they were on stage. It was record breaking. I think Led Zeppelin finally broke that record of that pull from that Beatles concert. Led Zeppelin broke the record in 73. But before that, this was the show that was the most profitable entertainment event ever. You know, ever, and it's, it's so crazy, so tragic that mom missed it. You know, because think of the memories she could have had from this. It's thing. awful. You know, there's a I got to look it up, Dagan. There's a YouTube video. I think it's from this show, but it could be from another one. But it's fucking hysterical. Oh, I'd love to see this. No, it's not. It's not what you think. OK. Uh, someone had an unperforated, like unpulled ticket, I think, from this show. OK. Right. Like uh, they were showing it off on Antiques Roadshow or oh, it wasn't Antiques Roadshow, but it was something else. And someone like handled it. And then the ticket got ripped. No. Yeah. Like it's something I think it was from this show, but it's I got to look it up. It's think. like, like it's, it's like tragic. I, I, I remember oh. seeing it be like, it's like the funny old YouTube videos, like with the guy playing with the sword and cutting himself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like and then he's like screaming. Oh, off. my God. It's one of those early videos, but I got to find it for you. I, I think it might be from the show. in that case. Like does the it might be insured or something. Yeah, maybe you would assume. I was wondering about that. Like imagine mom just had the tickets. Now, yeah. I, where, she, I wonder where the tickets are. Did she give them away? It was yeah, probably no. too late because it came down to that final decision. Yeah, I wonder if they're in like a keepsake box of hers somewhere or something like that with her old such things. A, such a crazy story. Yeah, it's tragic. sorry for telling you, Mom. I had to blow you up. You you, you might have wanted to tell wanted to tell that story sometime, but I stole it. No, it's too bad. I stole it, Mom. It's too bad. There's nothing you do about it. <laughs> Dig. I figure we'll end this con uh, this concert. We'll end this show by talking about what the listeners w submitted to oh, us, I love and it. then I love we'll it. do obviously 
our end sequence as well. I can't wait to hear these. So obviously, if you support us on Patreon at the $2 level or higher each month, which we very much appreciate, you get a chance to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We let you know the topics ahead of time. You submit them. I go through them. We try to read everyone's. Um, we're going to read every one of the submissions for this one, which I think we have like 10 or 12. And these are kind of your memories of your favorite concerts. Brian Cacciatola wrote into Westagan and said, one of my favorite concerts was taking my dad to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd two years oh, ago for his birthday. Nice. My dad had not been to a concert since watching Queen in the 80s. Oh, that would have been amazing. <sighs> and we are both huge Pink Floyd fans, to say the least. Me too. The band was fantastic, and this was definitely my favorite concert experience because it's not only about the music, but the people you share it with. Absolutely, Brian. Well and said. Pink Floyd is one of the, you know, I actually wanted to ask you this, and this might be a good segue, Dave. Yeah. If you could think of three or five bands that are yeah. not possible yeah, to see, yeah, yeah. What, would, what would they be? Like, what bands, or maybe bands that would be possible to see? Like, what, dream what are, concerts. Yeah, dream, what are your dream concerts? I was going to ask you the same question. I have a list. I'll just, I have a, I have a bunch, so I'll rattle them off Please. really quick. Kiss, 1979. Oh, so you have eras as well that you would yeah, want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely the specific era. Beatles, 67 to 68. Zeppelin, anywhere from 71 to 74 would have been acceptable. Sabbath, 75 maybe. Run DMC, 1984. Prince, oh, 1984 uh, to 85. Yeah, Purple Rain. Of course. Uh, REM, I'm going a little later on REM, just so they could play everything up to that point. 91, I said for REM. Yeah, that's after What's the Frequency Kenneth and stuff, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Orange and, Crush. And Helene actually saw REM at least once, which is really cool. Yeah, they're great. The pride of Athens, Georgia. And I, I'll tell you guys a story another time. I met Michael Stipe once. In oh, at a restaurant, right? Or no, when I was working. Uh, retail. Oh, okay. Urban, Urban Athens. I thought maybe you waited at a table or something. Like no, that. no. No, he asked me to He asked me to lunch. I'll t I'm going to save that story. I'm going to save that story for another time. In Excess. Well, I was a big fan of In Excess. 87, 88. Yeah, what a tragedy. That. The Supremes, 64 mm. to 65. Sundays, 1997, and I had tickets to go to see the Sundays in 90. I was offered by a friend of a friend, my friend Brian's girlfriend. She offered me tickets to go see a Sunday show, which notoriously the Sundays did not tour and they did not play live. So yeah, that, this is only like twice they came to the stage. Oh, it was like so tragic that it was like 94 or something. I had to, before, their, before their last album, actually, because their last album came out in 96, 97, I think. Sunday's 97. Gorillas, I still want to see today. That must and, be an interesting show to see Gorillas because they play through screens, right? They, like yeah, that. it's all, you know, it's like Archie. You know, it's like an animated mm -hmm. band. You know, Damon Albarn and everybody are there. But, and th there's so many members that come in and out of that band. So he'll be there and who else, you know, who else and... Is you know Snoop Dogg is part of it and Popcorn and Dell and Chibomato and all those people and Iron Maiden. I would give Iron Maiden like eighty six maybe. That's for PJ. Shouts to PJ. What PJ, about you, Kyle? PJ has an epic Iron Maiden tattoo. Oh, he he's he's a fan. Um, so I guess there are a few. First of all, the Beatles as late as possible. Okay, it would have been taken. Cool. I I always think about. If the Beatles were able to get back together, they would have figured out a way, whether through synth or through soundboard. You have to remember that they were recording a lot of this stuff over four tracks. I mean, even if you read about the about Queen in the 70s, the, the recording tricks they were doing to get these sounds yeah. were incredible. So I think that if they just had survived long enough, they could have had the they, we would have gotten a Beatles band in like the 70s or 80s or even 90s that would have been able to play all the late stuff, I think. Yeah. And or so, just have the big band or the musicians behind them. Right? right. They had the budget for that. Right. Exactly. 40 people, 50 people behind them. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I would have whatever I would have a day I would pay ten thousand dollars it's a great show. it's a great straight show. up like straight I would straight up pay um to see them play Sgt. Pepper's front to back oh, I couldn't even tell you how much imagine? money I would pay to see that you know oh, dude it's such a good it's such a good thought it's such a good point you make because they didn't they never toured that music no no one's ever heard those songs live you know some of them they were played by the individuals such a shame but yeah I mean those you know 
Ugh. I'm sure McCartney plays some of that stuff or whatever, but um, so there's them. I think I would throw them out there. Um, I Tears for Fears is still a I band that, that I, was I really want to put. Now, Tears for Fears still plays. They're still around. There's a goosebump worthy video of them playing a small venue in like 2014 or 2015 they open with uh everybody wants to rule the world and i i, I dude i like got teary-eyed just watching really it because i i think people know i love love tears for fear still the same guys this is the same two guys so in the in the era of the hurting and in the era of songs from the big chair they had two other guys in the band a drummer and a keyboard player um obviously they play bass and guitar but they were really tears for fears the two guys so after that era it was just the two of them then uh, the bass player left for a little while and then came back. Like sowing the seeds of love, oh, love is only song. one of them. I love that. Song. Or no, oh, really? not, so, not sowing the seeds of love. No, um, break it down again okay. is only one of them, which is okay. another great song. So uh, I would love to see them. They play very weird venues. If you read about them, they play like wineries and shit like that, which I think Do is kind of, yeah, really? which I think is really cool. But they don't play like normal venues. Where are they from? Northern California. I think Tears for Fears are British. Oh, are they really? Yeah, I didn't even know that. Maybe not. I, I don't know that I've ever heard them even really speak. It's a good question. If I, I'll find I think, it while you... Yeah, yeah, look for that if you, will, if you don't mind. Uh, so Tears for Fears is definitely one. Uh, Flock of Seagulls from... That's awesome. Um, I guess a good time to see them would have been like 83, 84. I'm really in love with an 80s new wave band called Missing Persons. I would have loved to see them in 82 or 83. Dale Bazio is the lead singer of that. By the way, I think we've talked about this in the past. If you want to see who Lady Gaga completely fucking copied in every way, look up Dale Bazio and Missing Persons and tell me that she didn't completely copy Missing wow, Persons. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Um, it's like the same thing. Are they, and they're, they're just not... Oh, not they haven't played. They probably haven't played in 30 years. Uh, so that that's an, another band. What did it say? For they're the English. Cops. Yeah, yeah. Tears for Fears are English. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would love to see them. Uh, Pink Floyd, their original lineup, Pink Floyd around... You and I were talking about Momentary Lapse of Reason, the 80s album, which oh. I really like, but a lot of people don't. But even seeing them during The Wall, the late 70s, or because I think The Wall is what, 78, 79? Yeah. And, which is even late for Pink Floyd. But, you know, during the Dark Side tour would have been an amazing thing to see. Oh, uh, ben Folds 5 is a band that I really wanted to see for a long time. I did finally get to see them. So, oh, you did see them? Yeah, I saw them at the Warfield in San Francisco in like 2000, when they got back together and released that new record. That's right. Like, I was that. all over that. I'm like, there's no way that this is You're this opportunity. Is passing. This. Especially because they, I don't think they even really like each other in this. It's clear they're not going to play. The Police is one of my favorite bands, and that's through Ramon widely, largely. And Ramon and I had tickets to go see them at Giant Stadium and see them at Boston Garden, or no, Foxborough, where the Patriots play. But I got my job at IGN, and so I left. And so I, I gave my tickets to his mom, so he went to those shows. And oh. the, and, and that was disappointing because I knew that they were never going to play again. You want to talk about a band that hates each other, hates each they other. They can't stand, they can't each, stand other. each other. How many members are there? In three. That? There's only three. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. So it's like a Genesis. Stuart form. Copeland, Andy Summers, and Sting. Right. So that was really hard for me because I really love the police like a lot. Oh and I just knew that this was like a thing. This was a this was a money offer that they clearly couldn't refuse. It, it, it came off the back of them. I, if people might remember, they were nominated and inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and they played Roxanne together. This was the first time they had played with each other since the Synchronicity Tour. Holy shit. Which was in 83, I think. Yeah, mid 80s. So this was in like the early 2000s. And then I think they started talking again. And I think obviously someone's like, listen just do a world tour for 18 months. You're all going to make $50 million each or something, whatever crazy amount of money it is. And they, they did, they did it, you know? So I unfortunately only got to experience that through YouTube. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Um, although there's great footage. There, there's the, they did a really great rendition of uh wrapped around your finger that I wish I got to see with all this percussion. And I, amazing. Love, I oh. love that song. Oh, it's an amazing song. That's a great one to bring up. I forgot all about the police for some reason. Yeah. So the police is definitely another band that I would have loved to see sublime. We brought up earlier as a band. I would have loved to see. I would have loved to see no doubt during the tragic kingdom era. 
there's a great video of them playing in San Jose right when the record came out in a small venue. I'm like, and Gwen Stefani's telling a story about how they went to see a movie that right before that and she lost her wallet and stuff. And <laughs> someone screams from the audience like, just play the songs or something like that. It's like, could you imagine? Could you fucking imagine talking to Gwen Stefani like that? No, that's on that's uncalled for. So that's another band I would have liked to see. So there's a lot of them, you know, but I think a lot of them are from the 80s. Like, I really love New Wave, as you know, and, and synth and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so there's a ton of random acts. The Call would have been awesome. We love The Call and. Uh, some of these other and then some of the some of the hair metal stuff I would have loved to see too you know Guns N' Roses oh Guns N' Roses is a huge one now they're still playing but it's just not the same you know like it's, it's not the same you it's know a whole different era like, they're a lot older yeah like seeing them and, and you know Faith No More was another bucket list one for me but when they got back together obviously I, I was all over that you checked well. it out I'll now where, what about Metallica Kyle? I left it off my list accidentally actually Metallica is on someone's list and it's fine we'll talk about them in a minute but okay. it's funny so I don't care because I don't live there anymore I lived at 25th and Lincoln in San Francisco for like almost 10 years that's right on Golden Gate Park and Golden Gate Park hosts uh, a festival every year called Outside Lands I went to the very first Outside Lands in 2008 okay I went because Dredge was playing and I saw Cake Steve Winwood, who rules, oh, wow. was playing, and Tom Petty was like the headliner. Oh wow! And so I, I, I saw all of them that day. It was like a three day affair, but that was that day I was there, okay. and I really wanted to see Cake. I, I like Cake, and so my backyard, I had a deck and like a sliding door in my room, and my backyard faced Golden Gate Park, and you could hear the music like clearly. A Metallica headline one year, and it was like I was there. They were so oh, fun. My God. <laughs> Was it really? Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is, you know, when that they're playing, one, I heard them playing one. Oh my God. You know, like that, that amazing bridge. It's the best song Which is like ever. my favorite thing ever. It's the best song ever. You know, when the guitar just like leaks out <laughs> and it's just like the, and just like, oh, it's like so good. So I, so I stood outside and listened to them and that was the closest I ever got to Metallica. Uh, I would love to see Metallica. If they ever tar, if they ever get together and do something again, we should go. Oh, I would, I would love to see Metallica. Be again, amazing. not the original lineup, but. It hasn't been the original lineup for a long time. It's been a long time. It's been like 30 years, so it's not really a big deal anymore. Uh, speaking of Metallica, Michael Lepper wrote in and said, hey, guys, I have hey. attended too many concerts to count at this point, but one show stands out above them all. My favorite band is Metallica. And go. about two years ago, I, I bought general admission tickets for my friend and I to see them. I entered us into a contest to upgrade to the Snake Pit, which is a small enclosed area in the middle of the stage, exclusive only to about 500 fans. We won that contest and we're sitting in the middle of the stage surrounded by one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all Holy time. Shit, that we were ecstatic. It's something I will never forget. And I doubt ever will ever get topped. Have you guys ever been lucky enough to sit front row or closer at a concert? Mm, good question. I talked about my 311 thing on the side of the stage. I I never tried to get to the gate. I feel like that's an uncomfortable place to be and you have to get to the show early. Yeah. And I also think the sound isn't ideal there. Too you, loud? It's it's not you're too close. Yeah. Like it's not mixing. You're not yeah, you're not getting a balance. I saw 311 at Hammerstein once and I, I saw them with my friend. I used to play in this band with a bunch of my friends. We went and saw them in like 2003. And I was right in front of the guitar amps on Tim Mahoney's side, like really close. And they opened with homebrew. But I was like, I remember being like, what song is this? Like, I can't even hear it, you know? So we like moved back because it was like so you know, muddy. It's all one side. Yeah, exactly. Finley House wrote in and said, hola, amigos. How hola. are you both? I have an interesting concert experience to share with you. Now, let me preface this by saying I was actually I've actually only been to one live concert in my life, which I'm hoping to change in the future. Back when I was 19 years old, I got a call from my brother that our favorite band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, were going to play a random show at the Rose Bowl in Portland, Oregon on my 20th birthday. And he wanted to know if I would like a ticket to go see them with him. Of course, I said yes. How could I refuse? He later told me there was a catch. I thought he probably wants me to pay for our food or something, which was fine. But to my surprise, he said that this isn't technically an RHCP show. They're actually special guests for some environmental summit that the Dalai Lama was doing. So he had to sit and listen to a bunch of panels for six hours the con before the concert even started. What? Needless to say, it was super weird. Wouldn't suggest anyone to do this for their first concert experience. But the show 
show was great. Did you guys have any weird concert experiences? Holy shit. Nothing that's like that. Crazy. Finley. Patrick Malloy, our buddy Patrick Malloy wrote hey, in. Hey, Patrick. He said, I went to shows twice a month as a high schooler, typically at small venues in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. I'd always snicker at the kids who bought band merch at the beginning of the show and would wear it for the entire concert. What's your guys' opinion on that sort of thing? What's your opinion on uh, it's so it's such a faux pas to wear a band shirt to a show oh, to a show. No, good. which I used to do when I was a kid. I didn't care. Uh, but when I became self-conscious, I stopped doing that. The first time I actually remember that I wanted to talk to you about the prices of mer- of concert merch. When I went to that, we talked about earlier that Poison Rat L.A. Guns Cinderella show. I'm not exaggerating. The T-shirts are sixty five dollars. Yeah, I believe it. That's insanity. That's that's highway robbery. No, it's ridiculous. Have you ever bought one, anything like that? Yeah, not not anything that expensive. But I bought shirts. My first three eleven shirt, or my second three eleven shirt, was at the first show I went to. It was an awful shirt. It was it was them all as aliens like playing on it, and, and, oh, and it, like oh, the t- with tour dates on the back. And and I remember Allie being like, "Why would you want that well, shirt?" It's probably like a really ostentatious color. Or yeah, something. it was like it was like electric blue. And they had all these great old, like I always wanted the 311 NASA shirt. There's a 311 shirt that's like the NASA logo, but it says 311 and I've always wanted that shirt and that was there and they don't sell it anymore. Oh. And I was like, oh, I could have had that shirt. And stuff. I've but heard anyway. people lamenting about that kind of sort of thing online. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the same thing like I, in college, because Transistor is obviously my favorite 311 record. I never, I wasn't able to see them during the Transistor as they called it. But one of my friend's girlfriends had a 311 Transistor shirt from that tour and I, I paid her 50 bucks for it. I remember. Did you really? I'm like, I want it. <laughs> you had to have it. Andrew wrote in and said, some of my favorite concert memories were from shows I went to with low expectations, but the band blew me away. The Expendables, Hailstorm, and 10 Years come to mind. Yeah, I typically am sometimes impressed by openers, but I don't really typically go to shows that I'm just like totally ignorant. You just of. give it a shit. You just roll the dice and give it a shot. Yeah, that's not my thing. I'm you not going to have gonna have do some that. sort of relevant. Yeah, yeah some yeah. sort of There's got to be some sort of hook there. I get that. Anthony Lencioni wrote into us and said, I know that Aaron is a huge Dave Matthews band fan, but did you, Colin and Dagan, ever listen to them in college? And what shows have you been to from them? I'm only 23, but I'm a huge Daver and have only seen Dave and Tim Reynolds live and not the full band yet. Also, what are your favorite songs? Mine are number 41, Crash and Dream Girl. Um, so, yeah, my girlfriend Aaron is a massive Dave Matthews band fan. I didn't fan. even know that. She's probably seen them 35 or 40 times, I would say, something like that. OK, um, I've seen them with her twice. And I like oh, Ma- really. Yeah, I saw them with her in Washington and I saw them with her in San Francisco. I like Dave Matthews Band. Like, I actually think Under the Table and Dreaming, one of their first records, is a fantastic album. Um, Jimmy Thang is my favorite Dave Matthews song. And I'm really quite partial to that newer song, Samurai Cop, which is, a, te- which is a terrible name. It has nothing to do. Like, I don't know why it's called. Ever. I don't know why it's called that because it has nothing to do with like. But um, that's the that's the greatest song title ever. Kyle. Yeah. You've got your ball. You've <laughs> got your amazing dream. drums in that song. I, that's the only that's the only Dave Matthews Band song I know. I oh, think. you know a lot of songs. Ants Marching. You don't know? No. You know Ants Marching, but I'm not going to say. Who's got their clothes in you, my friend? (laughs) They're, you know, I I find them a little corny, a little jammy, but seeing them live, it made me really grow in appreciation. Does he write his music? Yeah, yeah, the whole band, I think, is in on it. And um, Tim Reynolds, he brought up. I don't think Tim Reynolds is even in the band anymore. He's the violin player, I think. But okay, or is Tim? No, Tim Reynolds is maybe the guitarist. Who's the, I don't know. I think Tim Reynolds is the, 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 the violinist. I like the violins. Um, I will say that. Yeah, they have a lot of texture. in Great them, sound. Yeah, they have a lot of texture. A lot of horns and no, uh, strings. Know. How many people are in that band? Teach me about Dave Matthews band. So Carter Beaufort is their drummer who I'm really into. He's awesome. Good job. Um, they have so drummer, bassist, guitarist. Dave also plays guitar. So that's four. Violin is five. Keys, I think, is six. And then I think they have three horn players. So I think it's nine. Wow. It's a big band. Because I think they have a saxophone, a clarinet and a trumpet. Okay. Something like that. As regular or, pieces in the band. Or maybe an alto sax and a tenor sax. Yeah, some, yeah something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. That's cool. 
so yeah, I like Dave Matthews Band, and I'm, I'll be. I was supposed to see them a third time actually in the fall with Aaron in L.A., but she went with a friend of hers, her old roommate Brian, because it would happen to have been. I bought the tickets a long time ago, but then it was the very first game for Sam Darnold uh, as the Jets quarterback, and I'm like, well, you, I'm you clearly not going to this. So you can go find a friend <laughs> to uh, take care of that. Jack Deal wrote in us and said, hey, Colin and Dagan, when I graduated high school in 2013, my brother surprised me with tickets to see Paul McCartney in Seattle at Safeco Field a month later, knowing I'm a huge Beatles fan. It was incredible. They played Beatles, Wings and his solo hits. The big surprise came when Dave Grohl, uh, Chris Noble-Selleck and Pat Smear of Nirvana came out and they did a bunch of songs, including Get Back, Long Tell, Long Tell Sally, Helter Skelter and finished the set with the end. Easily the best concert I'll ever probably see. I didn't know Paul McCartney had. You mentioned this a little earlier, too. He has the rights to the, the Beatles catalog. Or some of it? Or I think what? some of it. I think Apple Music, yeah. like the like not Apple, not the Apple. computer, but the, I think they own the it. And I think Apple. he has a piece of that, but I don't really understand it because a lot of that stuff came to a head when they weren't on streaming platforms for a long time and stuff like that. So okay. I think as far as I, 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 you know, in music, unless there's like a different arrangement made, the songwriter is really the person who benefits, net benefits uh, financially from the song. It's not the people who perform it. Okay. So McCartney, I assume any of the songs he wrote okay. would be the ones well, it that. It could be yeah. that way. Didn't Michael Jackson own a chunk of the catalog at yeah, some I point or something? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I think MJ. he did. Yeah. I think he might still. Well, I not would, him, I but would his, have liked to see him, him too. Oh yeah, that's another. Back in, you know, Thriller, yeah, it, off well, the wall days. Yeah, like, eight, well, yeah, you don't want to give it enough time. I would say like 86, 87 because it would have given enough time for like, a bigger catalog. Yeah, for more of his stuff to come out. You know, not not just Thriller. Let's see here. Joshua Staggs wrote into us and said, I've been to a ton of different concerts over the years, but my favorite was when my friend and I drove 512 miles to see some of our favorite European metal bands in wow. Louisville, Kentucky. I've been to Louisville, a beautiful city. We left from Little Rock, Arkansas at midnight that night and arrived in Louisville that afternoon. We had zero sleep before the show, but I was a lot younger and could handle that kind of crazy shit. It was worth it because the singer from the headlining band, The Haunted, grabbed me as I was up front and we sang the intro to one of their songs, Abysmal. What's the farthest either of you have gone to see one of your favorite groups, artists, or bands? As I said earlier, I flew from Boston to New Orleans to see 311. And, That's far. And drove from Boston to Memphis to see uh, 311. But which, no international for you No, yet. I've never seen any concerts outside of the United States. 311 tours, I would assume, other places as well. No, not, they used to. I mean, they did like an Australian tour. They're big in Japan, and I think they go there once in a while. I could see that. And they used to play. I think like during Blue Album and Transistor, I think they went to Europe and stuff. But I don't, okay. think, they, I don't think they do that anymore. James Kinsel III says, my first concert was back in 2001 and I went with my aunt and my cousin to see Alice Cooper. It was fucking awesome. My aunt put the black eye makeup on my cousin and I and we were all rocked out that night. Alice Cooper is known for being one of the original shock rockers and that night he bought out a Britney Spears full body doll and sliced off her head with a katana. What? I actually didn't have a problem with Britney Spears music. It was just cool to see that. We had so much fun seeing Alice Cooper live that we ended up seeing him again the very next year in 2002. I knew my friend Devin was a huge Alice Cooper fan. They, they, he has a hardcore fan base, man. He definitely does. A, a, and a long-lasting fan yeah. base. He's supposed I'm not to be a very fan. sweet man, actually. Is he? He's supposed to be a very nice man. But yeah, he's got That's that That's always act. nice to hear. I always like to hear that. I like to hear that. Alice, give us a... He's a listener, I believe. Yeah, he is. Thank you. Why are my hands so clammy? I was telling that to you earlier. I feel like my my hands are so moist. I don't know. Are you nervous? Maybe. You're doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs> Prince Barutsky wrote into us and said, Hi, Colin and Dagan. In 2011, my father and I were in an outdoor U2 concert in Montreal, Canada. It started to rain near the end of the show. By the encore, I was experiencing what I still believe to be the most intense rainfall that I have ever endured. <laughs> this concert came became my all-time favorite when U2 performed an a cappella sing-along of The Beatles' Rain with the 162,000 in attendance. The grandeur of this moment left me with a sense of magic that will never be forgotten. This was the largest audience that I've ever been a part of. What was the largest concert that you've ever been to? How does crowd size affect your experience? We talked a little bit about that earlier. Yeah. Crowd size affects my experience in a great deal. A great deal. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Jeshua Anderson wrote in and said in the 90s here in the Pacific Northwest, festivals were all the rage. Events like Summer Jam, Enfest, Bumbershoot. I forgot about Bumbershoot. I think that's still, isn't that still happening? And know. Sasquatch were, are, and more were my first concerts at, as for a single charge per festival. I could see multiple acts. Did you guys ever go to events like Summer Jam and Lollapalooza? No. Uh, well, Dagan talked about his Warped Tour Warped thing. Tour. I've been to festivals. Dana was the one who went to like the Seminole Lollapalooza and Lilith Fair, Lilith Fair. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which I would have, I would have loved to go to a little affair. Yeah, that would have been cool. That's over. That's no, no I longer. Think that a thing. The, I think Lollapalooza came back. I think there was a Lollapalooza in Chicago a few years ago. Okay, and obviously the crazy Lollapalooza in 1999. That's like infamous. That uh, oh no, that was Woodstock '99. Yes, with Limp Biscuit and all those bands that and Bloodhound Gang. That's not dude. Bloodhound Gang, by the way, is still the best worst band of all time. <laughs> Dude, if you are you familiar with Bloodhound Gang? A at all? little bit. They're actually from Philadelphia. I remember. Yeah, they're a rap rock band that is like horrible, horrible, and they do not care. And I watch their videos on YouTube sometimes from like the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, it's awful. Oh man, and people love it. Like That's I would have loved to have seen. Not them. a fan. They're so funny. <laughs> late Nervine wrote in and said, "Favorite concert for me was Lincoln Park when they came to New Zealand in two thousand seven. Mm. It was my first time seeing them live, and I was blown away. They sounded amazing and had so much energy and interaction with the crowd. It ended with Bleed It Out, which included an amazing solo from the drummer. I still have the audio from the show and listen to it frequently. They used to record all their concerts, and you can download them from their website. I love Limp. I really love Lincoln Park, uh, Hybrid Theory, and they're a great group. Meteora to a lesser extent." I'm so sad that I never got to see them. And I really am interested. I I, I just assume that they, they were never going to play again. I, I just don't know that you can. I, I, yeah. One of their two singers is dead. I just don't know. How would you fill that in? Yeah, maybe they. I wonder if they'll start something new. Something new. The, the mean, original lineup, it's the same guys, you know, except Chester for, was actually the last addition to the band. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that, which I never realized. They were a band called Hybrid Theory, which is their first record name. OK. And then they added, I think the. They needed, you know, I think I think actually the label added Chester. It was kind of one of those things. And then it worked out. You know, I loved Lincoln Park in um, in high school. And actually, it was Lincoln Park was one of my connections to your wife's uh, sister. That's one of the things uh, uh, not Chrissy, uh, Cheryl and I used to talk about. Oh, really? Because she loved Lincoln Park. Yeah. Yeah. They got tunes, my friend. They do. Luke Tucker has the final comment, Dig, and he said, my top five favorite artists I've seen in concert are Aerosmith. My first concert. Oh, good pull. Aerosmith. Yeah. Arrow, seeing Aerosmith in like the late. 80s actually early 90s after like Janie got her gun and all that kind of stuff came oh, out would have been cool they're so good cheap trick twice I've seen them Huey Lewis in the news that's one oh, I would love to have seen that's a great pull these are all good pulls Sammy Hagar slash Van Hagar now I would have loved to see both versions of Van Halen personally because okay. I like Sammy Hagar's Van Halen too I like David Lee Roth's better I like the I do too but you I, do. I, I, I oh, you like it better yeah I like I mean who would I mean he's yeah. out of his mind DLR man. dude the 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 Panama video is still one of my favorite things. Everyone, he's on the when he's on the rope, oh, and he's like swinging course. around. What? I, I, that guy is that guy's a clown. Like I, you could just tell. These are all really good pulls. So that, and then he said, and White Snake once, which would have been another one. Oh, White. So here we go. No, here I go again. I'm Sadly, no Prime Eratoni Katane present, but a phenomenal show nonetheless. <laughs> I have two comments and questions. My favorite concert video is Van Halen Live Without a Net from 1986. The first concert VHS I remember renting from the video store and a key part in making Van Halen my favorite band. Do you guys have any favorite concert videos or a concert you didn't get to attend? We already talked about that. And of note, Cheap Trick Live at Budokan 1978 is, of my opinion, the greatest rock concert of all time. Concert videos. You know what one I think of, Kyle? Unless there's a stage, which I think would be impossible when I really grew up with an early music video, actually. U2, Sunday Bloody Sunday. That's a concert vid, right? That one's an iconic. I think that, so, yeah. Well, because that became a thing where 
for like the third or fourth single of an album, they were touring and stuff. So they would just take concert footage and use it. Just splice that up. Yeah, like that's such a common thing, like the concert footage of the band. It was cheap, right? I'm sure. Yeah, it was true. It was very, I, I had to get in with I'm such a huge music. Shoot. I'm a huge music video fan. Me too. And I, I need to see the band playing in the music video. We like, got to do a music video topic. Yeah, we should because. We really have to do that. I hate music Write videos where you don't see the band playing. I hate it. Hate oh, it. you hate when no, it's It just doesn't a... have to be the whole time, but okay. I need to see spliced at least of them playing the song. So like Land of Confusion, not a big fan. No, 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 not That's at all. not for you. No. You got to see the band in there. Yeah, I want to see not the puppet versions of the no, band. No, no. Now, I think it's cool like they're trying, you know, especially with Land of Confusion, it's a great pull because they were trying to do different things back in the day. But, you know, what's a good example? You know, actually, we're talking about Tears for Fears. Head Over Heels is a great example of a, a perfect music it's video. It's my favorite Tears for Fears song. That's a great song. You know, them in the library and all that, that kind of stuff. But then they cut to them playing, you know, towards the end and like playing the bass. and like Yeah, well, that's yeah. right. So I, that's like a perfect mix. Or uh, at Toto's Africa is another great example like of them playing, but it's also this weird shit going on. Uh, Rosanna by Toto is another great video. So I love Toto. Good polls. Oh, we definitely got I wrote it down. I'm excited now. We yeah, we'll do, do music. We yeah, for sure. To. We have to. Uh, Dig, that's all I have. So do, should we wrap it up? This is, uh, yeah. we've been going, this is, uh, I wanted this to be shorter, but this is going to be as long, if not longer it's than the It's a marathon topic. Out. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry, Dustin. I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry, you're not sorry. <laughs> All right, let's do it. We're going to do our our closing segment for Knockback Wave 7 is called Quote Me On That. And it's a very simple one. I'm just going to tell, say a movie quote and Colin's going to guess the movie. And feel free to play along at home as please, well. You please guys. do. Please. And I'm just going to do them in order here as I wrote them, I think. Okay. I'm two for two on this in this wave. You're two way. for two so far. I want to. I want to go with one that I think you get. Okay, yeah, I have to do this one. No, I mean, okay. you can challenge me. I don't have to get them all right. All right. Now I have backups in case you don't have. <laughs> I'm not going to start the easiest one. I have backups. Okay, Kyle. Who ordered the double cheese and sausage? TMNT. No, that's a good guess though. Who ordered the double? Let cheese? me let me give yeah, you keep another. Going. I don't know. That's nice. You have any more? Any more? I have more. I have more. Yeah, give me one more. Learn it, know it, live it. What is this? What is it? I'm gonna give you one more. Okay, Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick 100 percent of your ass. Oh shit! What? Ah! <laughs> you gotta get. Yeah, it no, now. hold on a second. Because I can see the scene. Future topic for sure. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick 100 percent of your ass. Fast food restaurant. It's fast times. Fast times. Yeah, there we go. Fast times. Future topic, my friend. I told I you this prefer, was foreshadow. Were there any Mr. Hand quotes in there? There was, I don't know. That's oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And I think you know where the front office is. But I wanted to keep them sort of a little bit nebulous. Mr. Hand. Mr. Hand. <laughs> Dude, my fa still my favorite scene in any movie that my, is when they get out of the van in the parking lot. Oh, that's a. Uh, me. I was thinking about making oh, that that shot my uh, my little avatar for youtube but i couldn't get a good dude a shot of it just the funniest one oh, one so shot when like one of them falls out of the van and like and they the got smoke, their skateboards yeah the smoke is just pouring out of the van shout out to eric stoltz dude he's one of the dudes we gotta do one on fast times oh for sure 100 100 yeah because uh judge what's his name says um, the 100 yeah reinhold says the 100 percent of your ass thing, yeah, right? yeah 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 to the customer that's yeah. what, right before he gets fired. that's what i saw that's what i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. fast times very good, Dagan. Well, I'm not going to count that. Out. That's one and a, that's a half. So I'm two and a half or three out of three. I think no, I, I, I went a little far with that one. Really? No, you four got quotes. it. Yeah. I had I had one more that I didn't read. You got it in four. What was the fifth one? 
The fifth one was I. I think you know where the front office. Oh, okay, is. yeah, I would have probably gotten that one. All right, you want you want me to do a dad joke? Let's do a dad joke before we wrap <laughs> you it up. You could say no. Please don't. <laughs> don't do a dad joke. Okay, I have a bunch written. I wrote them all out for the wave now, so we have them here. So I just have to choose one. Uh, okay. All right. This this will allude to a future topic as well. This morning, Siri said, "Don't call me Shirley." Yeah, I accidentally left my phone in airplane mode. <laughs> oh. We got to do one on airplane. Yeah, we for have sure. to do it. We have to do. Leslie it. Nielsen is like maybe the best. It's such a it's such a crazy. That's it's, another dad thing. That was maybe the first comedy movie I ever I ever saw. Maybe the, the blow up dolls one? and the, oh and the it's like it's it's off the wall. Leslie Nielsen is like legitimately one of the funniest people that oh, ever walked the face of the planet. Brilliant. I love the the uh, Naked Gun movies too. Like, oh, that's right. That's another thing. I mean, the best, just the best. O.J. Simpson. And those is so good. OJ Simpson. Who else? Um, it's, it's not Magic Johnson. Is Magic Johnson in some of those films? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. I think OJ Simpson was like the big because I think 33 and the third came out like right before the the 94 getaway L.A. chase. Oh, right. That's right. Because there's an awesome scene in 33 and the third where they're in a mall. It's a fucking amazing scene where they're like something's happening in a mall. And a baby's carriage like flips in the baby, like flies in the air and OJ Simpson catches it. But then he does like a touchdown dance and goes to spike the baby. It. <laughs> so good oh we got a, we got a bunch of future topics here oh my god yeah we're, we're all set on that well we appreciate you guys listening to knockback we hope you enjoyed this episode remember to support the show on patreon patreon.com slash collins last stand if you don't want to support us over there we understand be freeloaders but please do <laughs> leave us nice reviews on itunes etc we'll see you next time for more knockback thank you for your support goodbye thank you good night <laughs> Thank you, not back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should say it the wrong way. Thank you, sacred symbols. <laughs> Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. CJ Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Matthew Cooper, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Blake Garcia, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Julefs, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Lou and Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Nicholas Mast, Zachariah McAdoo, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Michael Renner, Titus Rex, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan 
Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Raymond Joshua Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayan, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, That Rescue Guy, Casual Misfits Gaming, Super Shot ST, Throw 7, Infinite, Homeworld Hub, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter 86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dab 9834, Donk 2015, and Gavin.